Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's films are The Wizard and Little Monsters. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. I'll, I'll tell you something random. After talking about uh, High Spirits the other day, and, uh, you know, the fact that it's got the goot in it. Yeah. I, I swear to God, the goots come up in conversations like <laughs> like a thousand times since then. It's the weirdest. Like, people keep bringing it up. They're like, you know, this one movie, it's got uh, Gutenberg in it. And I was like, son of a bitch. And then somebody was like, he pulled out of some con that they were going to that he was supposed to be at because <laughs> some other con paid him more money. And so people were all pissed off. And How pissed off would you be if you don't get to meet Gutenberg? Doesn't seem like it's worth getting worked up about. <laughs> well, it is. It is pretty fucked up whenever you're signed up to like be at a convention, and then you cancel, and it's not because of like scheduling or illness or something, but just because some other con was like, "Hey, we'll give you an extra fifty dollars." <laughs> <laughs> when you say it like that, it sounds really. Good. Hey, the goods in the man. Um, did you ever watch Party Down? Either one of you? Sounds familiar, but I couldn't. I couldn't tell you. Uh, it was that series on Stars, and it was. It's like really funny, but it's one of those that's like two seasons, six episodes a piece, and for some reason, Stars was just like, yeah, we're not gonna do this anymore. It's like with uh, Adam Scott and uh, Ken Marino. Jane Lynch is in it. Um, Martin Starr, so it's just sort of that group of comedians. Was it was it the show that was about like they did like uh, event planning or something? Yeah, they were a catering company. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, and then each episode would only take place at the <laughs> event that they're catering. Like there was no like seeing people in their private lives or whatever. So it was just sort of the drama that ends up happening at these events due to their outside lives. But there is an episode where Steve Gutenberg stars as himself. And he apparently was going to have a birthday party, but then canceled it, but forgot to cancel the caterers. So they show up at his house. He's not there. (laughs) He pulls up in his car and he's like, oh, I thought I canceled you guys. And they're like, no. I was like, no, you didn't cancel us. So he's like, well, I'm going to pay you anyway. And since I'm paying for you, why don't we just bring all this food in and we'll just hang out. So then it's Steve Gutenberg. Like one of them, one of the caterers is like a sci-fi screenwriter. So then it's just Gutenberg hanging out with these people and they're live reading this guy's script. And Gutenberg's like giving him notes on it and stuff. It's hilarious. Sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, the Goot. 
Uh, yeah, the show's awesome. If you haven't watched it, seek it out. And give it a watch. Uh, well, I guess anything else exciting going on before we dive into our Savage as Fuck episode? I wish we titled our episode so we could call it that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we finally do kids' movies, so we should yeah. add the word fuck into the title. Epi- exactly. Episode 9, Savage as Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do label the YouTube videos from our recording. That's so awesome. This one, this one is labeled Savage as Fuck. <laughs> That's awesome. Just as last, last episode, or... Er, yeah, last episode was Porktober. <sighs> There's surprisingly fewer killer pigs this week. So. Surprisingly. I figured there would be more. Well, it's hard um, to remember what's yes. this long ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't know how this subject matter came up. But for some reason, we decided, you know, we should talk about either Little Monsters or The Wizard. And then we decided, why not talk about both? And decided to do a Fred Savage episode because you need more Fred Savage in your life. But we're very specific. We're like Fred Savage from 1989. We don't want yes. to hear about early 80s Fred Savage. We don't want to hear about 90s Fred Savage. Just the one no. here. Yes. Is one year in his life. The rising rising the... star of Fred Savage. Yeah, when he apparently <laughs> was making a TV show and two movies, so somehow he had to be breaking child labor laws to get all that shit done in one year. Yeah. And they like to just squeeze his little brother in there, too. Of course. I tell you, I his little sister. Reported for those laws. Yeah. His sister's yeah, in these... Uh, his little sister's in uh, Little Monsters. She plays one of the little monsters when they're down in Monsterland. So, um, all right. So, which one do we want to tackle first? Um, all right. Awesome. I was going to say, well, they're kind of like, I think they're going to have equal amount of stuff to talk about for once. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Is it because they're both awesome? Well, I would I would call them they're both like on par with each other films. You know what I mean? I don't really have a clear favorite between the two like I normally would. Hmm. Well, Noah, why don't you uh, give us the spiel about Little Monsters then? Uh, Little Monsters is about a. A boy who's living with his younger brother and parents who have apparently recently moved into their dream home. Uh, He's having some issues making friends at school, and due to shenanigans that are going on at night, he keeps getting in trouble and is causing a strange relationship between him and his parents. All the while, his younger brother is complaining every night that there is a monster in his room come to find out that there is in fact a monster in the room and that monsters live in a magical world that you get to from portals beneath beds and we go on a beautiful journey (laughs) of of friendship and and 
uh, whimsy until the very end of the movie where things get real fucked up all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is a true statement. Yeah, because of the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, so how long had it been since either one of you had watched this movie? Uh, actually, only about a year. Yeah, I remember you saying last episode, I think, yeah. that you had uh, just recently watched it. Yeah. I don't think I have watched this movie since probably 1990 or 1991. It's been a long wow. time. All right. Because it came out right at the tail end of me being willing to watch kids' movies, right? And then you get into the, mm-hmm. you start to get closer to high school and you start thinking you're too mature for stuff like this. And then you get older and realize you're not. Uh, so Doug, I mean, we know it held up for Noah, but how did that hold up for you? Oh, I thought it was great. I, when the movie first started, I'm watching it and he, like Fred Savage is getting totally a Kevin McAllister at the beginning where everyone's just blaming him for everything. And I'm going, <laughs> this is, this is pretty corny. But as soon as, uh, as soon as the monsters start showing up, I'm like, this is fantastic. I was laughing constantly. I kept thinking, like, I want to have my nieces and nephews over and watch this with them because it is a kid's movie, and if people haven't rewatched it in a while, you do have to get past all the kid's movie elements of it. Um, but it's an 80s kid's movie, so it kind of has a lot in there for adults as well. There's the occasional, like, lewd humor that you kind of go, ooh, that probably shouldn't <laughs> be in a kid's movie. Like, <laughs> every now and again, there's just, like, completely inappropriate jokes. And, well, and the fact that in the 80s, they were not afraid to scare the shit out of children. Oh, these monsters, yeah. some of them look very horrific, and the practical effects, I think, hold up really well. Um, <clears throat> so it's just, it, it's really fun to watch all these monsters do their monstering and to watch like just how much fun that like Howie Mandel and Fred Savage are having pulling pranks on people in the middle of the night. I think all of the yeah. acting in this movie is really good, too, like the kid cast is fantastic and that's really a rare thing to say i was worried at the beginning because i felt like some of the acting was a little uh tv kids movie acting but then it seemed like it got better throughout the movie so yeah i felt like the family drama stuff was a little bit forced um yeah everything involving like daniel stern and and all that like the weird moment yeah. where like fred savage is trying to eat a peanut butter and onion sandwich and his parents are getting into a fight because they don't have enough sex which is like an <laughs> awkward moment to have in a kid's movie to start with on so many levels but yeah, know, maybe the, the point i was making is that the acting was a little off in those moments i was gonna, you know what the weird thing is maybe i completely uh was oblivious to that just because i'm such a big daniel stern fan mm-hmm. oh yeah i don't mind like his acting i felt like some of the Maybe it's maybe it's the fact that they had to sort of dump some exposition at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, like like when he's like at the school and he's like, eh, like I don't want to be here. Like his interaction with uh, the girl whose name I forget, um, sort of setting up that she has a key to like the teacher's closet with batteries and flashlights for some reason. I don't know why the teachers have that room. But... I know. But like that kind of stuff, I felt like it was that school it, has a, a mighty need for halogen bulbs. <laughs> it might be more of a case of uh, it was just clunky writing than it was acting. Like they were just doing what they kind of had to work with. But uh, I feel like their performances got a lot stronger as the movie went on. So it didn't bother me by the end. Yeah, just to touch on your point about the writing, there's definitely the Daniel Stern character is 
very inconsistent. Like, he's losing it on kids for, like, doing normal kid shit in one scene, and then he's, like, loving father in the next scene, and he just goes back and forth at nothing, like, on a whim. And it's really kind of, like, it's jarring, and it, it, maybe it's, we're blaming the acting, but it is probably the writing that's the problem. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know. I, got, I actually thought it was kind of believable, because if you've ever known anybody who had a parent like that that, like, was the uh, a really good person, but they had that super short fuse and would lose their shit all the time. Like, I've actually known some legit people that behave pretty much exactly like that, where they would flip the fuck out and leave and come back five minutes later and be like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Oh, Noah, you've apparently never met my mother. So... Oh, I come from an Italian family. That's just oh, yeah. that's just called adults. That's what we called them. <laughs> People who were nice to you, but then suddenly blew up for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck you doing? And then like <laughs> five minutes later, like, hey, come over here, get some pie. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, there was never an yeah. I'm sorry. And <laughs> I don't know why everybody talks like uh, talks like people from Goodfellas in your family, but they do. <laughs> oh well. Um. So no, or. Doug, you brought up the effects. I think the effects were pretty awesome in this movie, too. Yeah. I feel like all the monsters looked really good. Um, I don't want to say consistent, because, I mean, some of them were just, like, super crazy, and some of the other ones were just people with face paint on, but, like, I wasn't taken out of the movie feeling like that they didn't belong to the same world, if that makes any sense. No, I, no, I agree with that totally. Like, it, it, they sort of felt like they were all variations on some weird species and when the revelation comes later in the film I guess spoiler alert that the monsters are kids that got trapped down in monster land overnight or whatever and they get turned into monsters that kind of makes sense then because kids of all different ages and sizes and I don't know ethnic backgrounds or whatever would gradually turn into different kinds of monsters and so that would it makes sense that they all look different despite being I don't know <coughs> I want to say they were tonally similar, but that doesn't really make sense when you're talking about monsters. But it, they, they did definitely feel like they were. It's kind of like when you watch like the Muppets or something, and they all seem yeah. they're all from the same universe, even though they're all different animals, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the effects, Noah? Uh, I I think they're all pretty awesome. I think he's right with the uh, the inconsistent bit. But in the same way, it's kind of like a zombie movie. You can't afford to, like, put every zombie in the best zombie makeup. (laughs) So clearly they couldn't afford to do every monster down there as well as they did, like, uh, Boy and... uh, uh, What's what's the big guy's name? Uh, It begins with an S. What is his name? Something weird. It's like... I'll look it up. Is it it's Sid? It's Snick, is what it is. Snick. That's why, that's that's why is, you yeah. can't remember, is because that's not a normal name. So, yeah, and uh, like they do, and how even Howie Mandel's makeup's pretty, pretty convincing. Uh, hmm. And I liked, like I said, I like all of it. The, the only thing that I personally don't like is I don't like how over the top clowny. Uh, Howie Mandel is through most of the movie because he just, instead of coming off as like a wild child character like he's supposed to be, instead he just comes off as just a fucking obnoxious crazy person. 
Uh, that, that didn't bother me for some reason. I just looked at him as being basically the kid-friendly version of Beetlejuice. That's I kind of saw this whole movie in that light, mm. where I'm just like, yeah, because I think it's what, a year or two years after Beetlejuice came out, I feel like somebody just saw that and went, what's, what's the kid-friendly version of that? Okay, monsters under the bed. And so instead of causing real-life damage, he's just pulling pranks and being obnoxious and making bad puns. And, yeah. But yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it. It is some of the some of the humor is very kiddish, um, some of it isn't. But I, I I didn't find him obnoxious per se. Like he didn't hit like Robin Williams on crack level, like <laughs> Robin Williams got sometimes. Yeah, he did get kind of close, but I don't know. I feel like it just worked in this movie. It didn't bother me. Yeah, and I think it makes the uh, the serious moments a little more impactful. Because when the uh, if if you think of it almost as that that's a, a fake personality that he's putting on, you know what I mean? That that is the yeah. the character that he sees himself as, and then you have the moments where all of a sudden he gets sad or hurt or something like that, and you can just see him kind yeah. of make the shift. Yeah, yeah. He uh, specifically the scene where him and Fred Savage are having an argument. And Fred Savage's dad comes up and tells him to come down. They want to have a talk with him. And so, of course, when you flip the light on, the monsters just turn into a pile of clothes, which I think is a pretty clever conceit of why, like, you wouldn't catch a monster in your house because you flip the light on, they go away like it's silly. Um, but specifically that scene where he then goes downstairs, they tell the kids, hey, we're getting a divorce or getting a trial separation which Fred Savage is right he's like oh that's what you do before you get a divorce um, and then he goes back upstairs and flips the light off and that super manic Howie Mandel you were talking about just gets kind of down and serious because he knows like his friend is like really upset and is just kind of like yeah it sucks like I don't know I don't know what to tell you let's just go go have a good time and try to get our mind off of it I think it says something positive about the movie that we're discussing the layers of the Howie Mandel played a monster character. I think it, 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 it's yeah. the reason why certain movies like this hold up is because somebody put that extra bit of time and effort into making it him, a, a, you know, not a running joke, but an actual kind of human being, despite the fact that he's not technically a human being. And I think they, I think the, the performance from Howie Mandel does a lot to help with that, but also I think the decision to have him in just makeup and not like a bigger mask or something really mm-hmm. allows him to emote the entire time. And you can see the difference in his facial expressions when he's, you know, supposed to be more serious versus when he's just in his performance mode. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something about, and, and this is hard to say because this, this isn't a, a hard rule and I'm trying not to overgeneralize, but I feel like older like 80s kids movies and stuff really weren't afraid to deal with like childhood emotions yes. like like newer ones are like everything's got to be so happy and cheery and effing sunny all the time mm-hmm. and in this one you basically are dealing with like abandonment and almost if, if you think about it almost borderline abuse and the fact that you know you're constantly being punished for things that you didn't do uh, not just a divorced 
parent, but actually showing the house with marital strife heading toward divorce, mm-hmm. which is something that you almost never see in films. They always just start off pre-divorce because it's so much easier that way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, dealing with friendship and then, like I, like I said at the end of the movie, dealing with kind of real terror and hardship you know what i mean like and that's such a big shift from the rest of the movie that it's it's very jarring whenever it finally happens well yeah when from the moment the little brother gets kidnapped by boy or whatever whoever actually does the kidnapping it's um it's the the film it gets dark and it really becomes this Mm -hmm. like more of an action movie where these kids are heading down into the underground to, to to save this kid and you're like I kind of think those monsters might eat that kid if they don't save him in time like it, it really feels the tension is real and you know it ends up with this sort of like slapstick comedy ending where they run across the entire country and have to crawl out under a homeless guy's bed in California but <laughs> the, the whole time that that fight's going on I like I I could have seen the movie going I mean I, I've seen enough movies that I know how it's going to end but I could have pictured the movie ending with you know Fred Savage having to stay down there in order to save his brother or something like that I could kind of yeah. kind of felt like it might go that way and that's not, not something that a lot of kids movies are willing to entertain they always hold back just enough the kids won't be scared watching it and in this case I think they, they didn't they let they let it go there and that's that's what makes this a good movie instead of just like a nostalgic fun thing to watch mm-hmm. yeah I, I think the only thing they missed out on is I wish they would have included more of the boy character leading up yeah. to the big ending because sure. otherwise it's just this weird character that's thrown in at the end. And I like the the way that basically the boy character and Howie Mandel's character are kind of like uh, mirror images of each other in a sort of way. Because they both represent like the overindulgence of childhood wants, and Howie's is you know how randomly destructive and obnoxious it can be, but you know still having that fun childhood attitude versus boy who's you know just the complete opposite. He's like the pure indulgence of every id fantasy that somebody wants becoming, you know, a violent tyrant, basically. Well, even visually, which I didn't really think about it until you just brought that up, like, Boy is dressed up, uh, who's played by Frank Whaley, by the way, who I had no idea that he was even in this movie. And even still, when he showed up, I'm like, wow, it still doesn't really look like him. So they did a good job with the makeup. I only um, recognize his voice. Yeah, he's the the... Say what again, motherfucker guy from yeah. Uh, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, the fact that boys dress up like in a schoolboy's uniform and prim and proper, even to the point where they do show like the the part where the lights come on and the clothes like fall to the floor, but all of his like fall folded neatly and everything, just like a like a boarding school or something. And then, yeah, uh, Howie Mandel's got, like, the punk rock, like, leather vest on with, like, the butts all over and jeans and the chucks and, you know, just kind of running around doing whatever. So, yeah, I never really thought about that So you just brought that up. That makes complete sense. 
I don't, interesting. I, I don't think I ever dissected it that close until I watched it this time because I was actually like, well, I've, I've seen it recently, so maybe I should actually put some thought into it. <laughs> Uh, do you have any favorite monsters that showed up randomly in this? For some reason, I got a real kick out of the one, like they're walking along and there's just feet dangling in front of their face. <laughs> and the guy's like, trick or treat, smell my feet. Oh, and they turn around and he's just like this tiny little thing with really long legs. that's just sitting like way above them. <laughs> I don't know why I got such a kick out of that, but I thought it was funny. I also really enjoyed, it wasn't a particular monster, but I liked the, the baseball game where they bring stuff down into oh, the monster yeah. world, just play baseball around it to see what gets broken and then put it all back broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that seems awesome. Uh, what about you, Noah? Do you have a favorite monster? Uh, I, I think Boyd's actually my my favorite just because yeah. if, if you put that into a horror movie, mm-hmm. that's terrifying. Like the the child who's really just a fleshy skin suit stretched over some kind of horrible chud like monstrosity. <laughs> that would yeah. probably be genuinely frightening to children when they, that scene where they shoot him in the they shoot the light in his face and then there's like that lizard or whatever underneath. It's like I know that that was a pretty common theme in the eighties was the lizards people underneath the human skin, but still that would have been terrifying if you're like seven and you saw that for the first time yeah i almost thought he looked like he had critter face yeah like, like his head just looked like a critter like underneath underneath the fake face that he had on it although i kind of wonder if the rest of his body was like some kind of a robot and it was just a little critter operating it kill more christ every week we create a new shared universe on this show yeah. that's kind of our thing Exactly. Well, well. Once again, we've got Daniel Stern. So Daniel Stern went from being the homeless guy fighting the chuds to uh, being a robber, and then eventually reformed, married a lovely lady, and had two children. Yeah, had marital strife. Marital strife, and then had to go back to a life of crime just in time for uh, Home Alone Two. Exactly. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, um. I think my favorite monster, even though it's just like a brief shot, is the one. It's in the scene where they all show up to scare the baby in the crib. Yeah, and it's the one that looks like a has a pumpkin for a head. Yep. But then, like the whole top of it just like flips up and just looks like all fucked up and weird. It's just like, what is that? Uh, that's that, a good one. That scene right there has got a bunch of really cool effects in like a very short period of time. Hmm. <coughs> how much do you love freaks- this movie just oh, had a ahead. scene where a bunch of monsters decided like yeah a whole bunch of monsters are going to surround this crib with a baby in it and they're all going to try to scare it as much as possible somebody wrote that scene and everybody went yeah let's film that that's a good idea I, the, the even more disturbing part is that apparently for them it's some kind of like party event type thing <laughs> yeah family brings home a new baby let's go torment the shit out of this baby all night <laughs> yeah and that's the big like line in the sand for Fred Savage he's like it's a baby knock it off <coughs> and then like runs out of the room and finds out that his his arm turns to the clothes when subjected to light for some reason bam, bam, bam. because then when he opens the door later like it doesn't yeah when he leaves the room 
his whole body doesn't turn to clothes, so it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But whatever, it's, still good. It's, it's movie logic is close enough, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know anything else. Anything else you want to gush over? No, I, th- I think we should reemphasize the performance from all the kid actors. Yeah. I think it's just yeah. because normally that's the thing you'll complain about, and it's like. Fred Savage, even Ben Savage, I think does a really good job. Um, the girl, I was kind of surprised she didn't grow up to be famous because I thought she did a fantastic job of playing that sort of sassy 80s girl character that's in a lot of movies. Kind of the inspiration for the little sister in Stranger Things Season 2, I thought. This is the type of character that they're referencing back to. Um, but yeah, I, I, overall I thought this movie just really held up well. I'm really glad I watched it again. Nice. What about you, Noah? Anything else? Uh, I, I think it's awesome. Like, people need to keep this one alive. If you've got kids that are... I wouldn't show it to, like, a really, really small child. <laughs> oh, oh, I would. <laughs> I just... I feel like that would be nightmares. And I do... The, one of the things I distinctly remember watching, because I, I do believe I went and saw this in the theater whenever I was a kid, and I remember the scene where the saws come out of the floor. Uh-huh. I remember that being legitimately like terrifying. Like I was like, "Oh my god, they're gonna get sawed up into little pieces." <laughs> Things have gone so wrong. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. As we'll get into, since these both came out the same year, like I feel like I was the perfect age for both of these movies. Yeah. Um, I think it'll play a bigger part in the next movie we talk about, but. Um, <coughs> yeah. I feel like because you're pretty much like the same age that Fred Savage character is. So at least I was. So that really like engaged me with this movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. I really enjoyed it too. It holds up really well. It's on Netflix too. So if you have Netflix it's here in the States, you can uh, go and revisit it. If you haven't watched it in a long time. And uh, yeah, like, like you'd said, I, I think it's, it's a really good movie you can show kids. Um, it's probably a lot darker than you remember it if you haven't watched it in a while. But uh, for kids about, you know, I'd say from like 11 onwards, I think it's a really good movie. You can show them to kind of get them into horror movies and stuff. Yeah, 11 onwards if they're your kid. But if there's someone you can send home, I'd say. Oh, eight, five and up. Eight, yeah, like <laughs> you're allowed to traumatize other people's kids. Yeah, exactly. Just like you're, uh, like, you know, me and you are both uncles. Like, we could just show them that and uh, send oh, them home I, and I then made, someone else the problem. I made, I made a note of these movies. I'm going to try to figure out how to get my eight-year-old niece over here. She hasn't seen Ghostbusters yet, but the, this is coming after that. So. <laughs> One of the most disappointing parts of my life is uh, my, my brother's children. Uh, other than his his eldest, who unfortunately is she is the child of a divorce, so she lives in another state, so we don't get to see her very much. Mm. But his his other three children that live with him, man, those kids are soft. Those are some soft, soft children, and I can't like they've been helicopter parented a little bit, and, and they don't they can't do anything that's the slightest bit scary. Well, that's your job to yeah. toughen them up. Yeah, see, yeah. I don't. It wouldn't. It would, it would just result in them crying, and then I would feel bad. 
Like, it'd be one thing if they, like, went home and had a nightmare or something, but I think they would legitimately have a breakdown. Well, if, if they cry the first time, but about the third time, they'd probably be over it. Be all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, see, the thing about mine is uh, my two older nephews, like, one of them came over to my apartment once. Like, you know, my sister was there and, like, all the boys were there. And he was probably, like, five or six and commented that he wanted to watch Hellraiser 2. Yeah, sure. To which I was like, you're going to have to ask your mom about that. And she's like, I don't care. So we put on Hellraiser 2 and he sat down and just watched it. So, but I feel like all the younger ones, for some reason, have not been... uh, yeah, their parents warned them before they come over now. Yeah. If you ask to see it, Uncle Brian will show it to you, so just be careful. <laughs> so, yeah, they're not nearly as exposed to, to those horror movies. So I don't know if they would they would do very well, but my two older ones were completely entrenched in it. But then, strange, where if they watched a horror movie, would then have nightmares and then have to go sleep in mom's bed. So she pretty much is just like, <laughs> no more horror movies because I don't want people sleeping in my bed anymore. I, I could imagine. I remember uh, my, my parents were really lenient about me getting horror movies. Yeah. They, I just ended up with really cool parents that uh, didn't, didn't freak out whenever <laughs> I would rent terrible things. But I distinctly remember picking up Hellraiser whenever I was mm, between five and seven. That's the right age to be introduced to that, I think. Man, and it's the it's the first movie I can remember in my life that it scared the shit out of me. Like I was like watching it, like oh, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> that was what was great about the eighties, though. You just you'd go to a video store, pick out whatever you want, and you'd be like, "My parents said it's okay," and they'd be like, "Oh well, if your parents said it's okay." My dad wouldn't even come into the video store with us. He'd sit in the car, and when we took the rated R movie up to the counter, I'd be like, "My dad's out there," and they'd look at him, and he'd wave from the car. Can <laughs> you check what we were renting? You <laughs> totally, like totally going in there. Totally pulled a dumber, a dumb and dumber. Just like, well, if that gentleman over there's name is Seabass, and then the waitress would look, and he just waves. Yeah. Like, no. Nope, yep. Doug just pulled a dumb and dumber. Nice. At one point, like my dad gave me. Uh, got me Nightmare on Elm Street 4 on VHS for Christmas when I was 10 years old. Yeah. So, like, he didn't give a rat's ass what I watched. No, Force Force Freddy's dead, isn't it? Four is Dream Master. Dream Master. Six is Freddy's dead. Come on, Noah. What kind of show are you on? Sorry. (laughs) Dude, I'm on a bunch of cold medication like the drugs excuses for force the one where the the chick turns into a cockroach and he crushes her right well, that's correct okay yeah yeah, yeah. I, the that was third the, the, the third, first one third I girl she's the third girl from just the 10 of us to appear in the freddy series and she dies that the way third girl. yeah yeah because nancy was the first one Apparently, one of the other girls from just the ten of us was on the bus <laughs> in part two when it goes crazy off the road. Oh, really? And then, yeah, the cockroach girl is was the slutty popular one from just the ten of us. 
Nice. Yeah, so I think that's a high recommend. Little monsters from all three of us. <laughs> yeah, just to get us back on track. Yeah, yeah. Give, it, give, it, give it a rewatch if you haven't seen it in a while. And if you've never seen it before, I, I don't know if nostalgia played any part of mm-hmm. our opinion yeah. of it, but I think it's solid. Like, I don't... Yeah. Like I said, the comedy can be a little 80s, but that's, that's well, just the thing. Sure. Yeah, I think yeah. you have to rem- remember when you're watching it that it's a kid's movie and it's from 1989. So factor those things into your decision to watch it, but I don't see that those things as necessarily being a negative. It's just, you know, don't sit down thinking you're getting a horror movie from the 90s. That's not what this is. Yeah. Agreed. All right, I want to move on to The Wizard. Sure. I'll, t- I'll take that as a yes. Um yeah, so same year, uh, Fred Savage and Christian Slater uh, are brothers who apparently have a younger brother who does not live with them, who, uh, for all intents and purposes of this movie, is autistic, even though they don't call him that. Um, and his... Okay, this is the problem I had at the beginning of this movie. The family dynamic was not explained until about halfway through the movie. Yep. And completely confused me how this was working with the yeah. So apparently, uh, Bo Bridges plays their dad. Apparently, he was married, had Fred Savage and Christian Slater, like his wife did. I'm assuming she passed away. They never mentioned it. Oh, I assumed she. I assumed it was a divorce situation. But the, I don't know. They, I don't. They I don't believe it is explained. To, they never seem to talk about their mom at all. Um, and then he got remarried and then they had a set of twins um, and we'll get into more of that about them later and then there was a divorce and now uh, she's with another guy who is pretty much played up just to be like a rich asshole prick and so then younger kid Jimmy uh, like I said, for all intents and purposes, is autistic, and they decide it's best for him to put him in like a uh, a home. And then Fred Savage basically says this is bullshit, and then runs away from his home to get his brother. And his brother keeps saying he wants to go to California, so he's like, "All right, well, let's just we'll go to California for no real reason at first. Um. They stop at a couple gas stations. They find out Jimmy is basically a savant for video games. And they run into some other girl who's not a runaway, but she's just traveling by herself, even though she's like 12. It's, it's later explained that her dad is a trucker and her dad will take her on the road and then just send her home early to take care of the house. So she's like 12, and he just puts her on a bus and sends her across the country so that she can go live on her own until he's done his trucking route, however long yeah. that takes. Yeah, it's weird. That, that guy um, should probably go to jail for child abandonment. But, <laughs> probably. But, but we never even meet him. He doesn't show up in the movie at all. No. Um, so they decide after trying to scam some people for some money because... Um, they got money stolen multiple times throughout this movie. 
that they should try to go to the Nintendo Championships in the Los Angeles uh, and try to enter Jimmy into it to win $50,000. The deal being that they'll split it between uh, them and then the girl Haley will get you know half of it. We find out a very sad monologue later. She just wants to buy a house for her and her dad because they live in a trailer. Um, and uh, during all this, the uh, rich, uh, prickish asshole guy and Jimmy's mom have hired what is essentially a bounty hunter that goes after runaway kids. And then also Bo Bridges and Christian Slater are also trying to find them driving across country. Um, and it all culminates, of course, at the Nintendo Championships in Los Angeles. Yes. With the unveiling of the all-new Super Mario Brothers 3. Brand new. So, Noah, what did you think of The Wizard? Uh, I actually liked it more seeing it now than I did whenever I saw it whenever I was a kid. We're going to be in agreement on this. Because I think I didn't quite understand everything that was going on whenever I was a kid. Like, I just thought it was about a weird kid and his brother like trying to play video games and travel across the country. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I I thought it was pretty good. The funny thing with the family dynamic that you were talking about, the impression that I got was I figured the Bo Bridges character cheated on his wife with the other lady and got her pregnant and that she and that his wife left. No, I didn't catch that, but I mean, I guess. Well, I'm just saying because Christian Christian Slater and the other kid seemed to get really, really upset and defensive every time the other kid was brought up. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that it's a little odd, you know what I mean? That they're so hmm. touchy about their half brother. Well, I think, I mean, we haven't spoiled it yet, but when the reveal comes about the twin, I think that that yeah. might help explain it. But yeah, I don't know. Like this movie was made in 1989. Can we yeah. just can we just go yeah. full spoilers? I think it's fair. Yeah. Like, I don't think the spoiler really ruins anything. It's just. No. Yeah, it's it's a one small part of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Do you want to explain it, Doug? Yeah, I mean, basically, we come to find out that, uh, like, Jimmy, the youngest, had a twin, and that she drowned in front of him. And that Mm -hmm. basically put him into this mental state that we see him in throughout the film, whether it's autism or whatever. I mean, again, we're not told what the diagnosis is, but it it essentially comes across as autistic um, and that this was basically brought on by him witnessing the death of his twin sister. When the eventual reveal comes, when he keeps saying he wants to go to California, he's got a memory in his mind of the time that the family drove out there and he got to go to this, it's this weird like dinosaur park tourist trap on the side of the road. Um, uh, the exact same one we see in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, actually. And it's it's still there. You can still go there. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, and, and so basically he's just trying to get back to this happy spot and he wants to, he has, he's carrying this lunchbox the whole time and eventually he's revealed that it's full of pictures of his sister and that, yeah, he's just trying to get back to the last time he was happy. Mm. Which is really dark and sad, but it 
Yeah. It's, it's interesting the way they're able to weave it into the movie because it's effective. It doesn't feel like it's exploitive or like they're rushing over the death of this other child. But at the same time, it doesn't take away from the fun of the people. So. Yeah. Uh, but that's why I, I always thought that maybe that's why the older brothers were so defensive of him. And I also kind of thought that even though they don't say it, I thought maybe the Bo Bridges character was willing to sort of part with his youngest son in order to separate himself from the pain of losing his daughter. Does that make any sense? Oh, totally. I, I get that. I feel like having watched it and then thinking about it more now that, uh, because it's established that the mom has full custody of Jimmy. Right. And then now like also I'm guessing the guy she's married to, I don't remember if they explicitly well, he says he's like legally responsible for him or something. So I'm assuming they're married. Yeah, um, I assume he's like adopted Jimmy or whatever. Yeah. Because uh, my interpretation of it now, thinking about it is uh, that after the girl died um, and apparently she died like they point out that she died in like three feet of water like it wasn't like she was swept yeah. away in like a river or whatever it was just some weird accident they don't get into the details but she just drowned like almost for no reason um, the, almost like Bo Bridges feels responsible for it and so after they get a divorce feels like it's better for Jimmy to go live with his mom like full time and uh, yeah. whatever and just tries to like you know I'm going to let Jimmy live his life with his mom instead of being constantly reminded of the horrible part where his sister drowned or whatever he just seems like he, t- he has a lot of guilt over it which is why maybe he's <clears throat> sort of just let go and let his wife take Jimmy on as a responsibility rather than him because from the interpretation of the movie it doesn't seem like he's very involved with Jimmy's life um, at this point. No, yeah, and it's it's the two sons are constantly like, oh, what? Because he's only our half brother. You don't have to care about him or whatever. And yeah. it's, it, you, I, I found that very. I mean, it's it's a dark concept, but it's also it felt very real. That the kids are not understanding at all of what their dad's going through and aren't understanding where he's coming from. They're just seeing him as being a big jerk. And yeah. as the movie progresses, we sort of see them all kind of, not really all, we see especially the Christian Slater character and the Bo Bridges character kind of come together. And, I mean, it's it's a little heavy-handed in some scenes, but the idea there is that as they get to understand each other better, they are able to care about each other more because they don't... That tension mm-hmm. is kind of broken because they're actually having conversations and everything. I don't, I don't know yeah. if I'm expressing myself well here, but... Yeah, no, they're having to spend a lot of time together as they're searching for uh, the two boys. <coughs> like, especially especially Christian Slater and Bo Bridges. Like, they're driving cross-country, and so they're, like, stuck in a car, motel rooms together. It just seems like they're forced to talk about issues that have been going on. And by doing that, it seems like everybody's opening up about how they're feeling, and they can finally understand what the other person's going through even if it's not like a giant monologue of this is how I feel, but they kind of start to understand why everybody's reacting the way they are. 
and there's the there's the interesting parallel of Fred Savage and the little brother are kind of bonding over video games, and the yeah. dad and Christian Slater's character are doing the exact same yes. thing. Well, yeah, make no mistake about this. This was Nintendo's not-so-subtle way of saying, look, if your whole family played video games together, look how much closer you'd be. I mean, <laughs> the, this is a movie, but this is also a commercial. Because oh, yeah. for some yeah. reason, commercial, sure. commercial space must have been really expensive in the 80s because it was cheaper to produce full movies or cartoon series to advertise your product than it was <laughs> to just buy commercial space apparently <laughs> and, uh, to take it back for a second back to the autism thing this is a uh, it's kind of interesting because it's not the only movie from this time period that did what they did uh yeah the, the late 80s is where autism was starting to like gain traction and get attention mm-hmm. drawn to it and, and getting research done. And back then, there were several movies made that all made the same incorrect thing where they thought that autism was trauma. That, uh, yeah. And b- basically, they were confusing autism with a, I think it's called a semi catatonic state. Yeah. And, and they yeah. did it over and over and over and over, and they would apply the symptoms of one to the other just willy-nilly. There's a Richard Dreyfuss movie that's basically about the exact same thing. Uh, but it's a little girl in that case. And, uh, and, and no video game competition. But, uh, <laughs> but oh, yeah, That's it's why just, it's a lesser movie. Yeah, well, and, and it, it makes it kind of cool as a historical landmark of how people view uh, a pretty serious uh, medical condition. Mm. Yeah, I read uh, some of the trivia that maybe they didn't come right out and say anything about autism because like Rain Man apparently had just come out like the year before and they were trying not to make the correlation between what this kid was going through and what like uh, Justin Hoffman's character was in the Rain Man movie, but what's 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 really interesting about that is like I think in Dustin Dustin Hoffman's character as well though, I think there's indications that there may have been childhood trauma that led to his problems, and this is almost the exact same character in a very similar movie. Um, yeah. That is, you know, also he's just a, he's a kid because this is a kid's movie basically. Yeah. But it is the older brother rescuing him from a home, going on a road trip, using his. Mm. Autism magic, because for some reason in the movies, they are, every autistic person is like really great at some specific thing that they can use to make money. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess I don't really think about that. It, it, it is. Yeah. It is. I mentioned the other one is basically the kid-friendly version of Beetlejuice. This is the kid-friendly version of Rain Man to some extent. <laughs> it's funny yeah. how like the '80s are like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Since Noah, you brought it up about how they were doing a lot of autism-esque symptoms and characters of movies around this time. I just thought about the movie uh, The Boy Who Can Fly. Either one of you ever see that? I don't think I ever saw that one. No. That sounds really familiar. Uh, I just think it's interesting because Fred Savage is in that one too. He's playing like a younger brother in it. Uh, And the boy next door, of course, is the weird boy that everybody misunderstands or something thinks he's just a weirdo and of course the older the older sister takes an interest in him and shenanigans happen and yeah 
So I just thought it was interesting. I never really thought about, like you pointed out, sort of the historical account of the rise of uh, the autism and the research and all that stuff in the 80s and how it's represented in movies around this time. That's interesting. Um, this was a really fun movie and our conversation's really serious now. It is. It's We're talking about like, all the serious stuff, but at the end of the day, I mean, it is just a lot of fun of uh, a lot of them going from just gas station to gas station or a restaurant. Yeah. And there's just like all kinds of arcade games in there, which makes me sad because it's like that doesn't happen that, anymore. No, it's not really a thing anymore. Um, so it is fun to see them going from place to place. And you're like, oh, what video game is he playing? And then they show, oh, it's Double Dragon or it's Ninja Gaiden. All this stuff. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that is just really fun. It's obvious, like watching it as an adult, that this was just trying to. Con- convince kids to go buy those games but i'm fine with that like it's that was a thing they were doing in the 80s and there's nothing necessarily wrong with it i don't think i think it's almost more honest for nintendo to make a movie like this and have it just be a giant commercial than it is for them to do the subtle product placements that they do nowadays yeah um did, oh, did yeah. We... sorry i got i got two movies mixed together uh, Richard, okay. Richard Dreyfus is in the one where, what's it called, Silent Fall, where the little boy is supposed to be autistic and he talks through cards. Like, it's it's really weird. Because it's more like he's got a schizophrenic thing going on. And then I was thinking of, I think the movie's actually called House of Cards, and it was made in 1992. Oh, we don't talk about kids and House of Cards on the show, Noah. <laughs> not not that show but it was yeah. it was a movie but it, and it was about a little girl who was autistic and once again it's all so completely inaccurate like it's not yeah. remotely right about the way things work so. well I think what a movie like The Wizard does right in dealing with those things is by not naming the mental illness they can kind of have they can have a character who's clearly has mental problems, which is I think it's a positive thing to have in a kid's movie. It teaches kids to be more accepting of the kids around them that might have problems. Um, but by not naming it and by not being too specific, they don't have to be accurate, right? They can still do what they need to do to make their movie work and they can go ahead and have him be really good at video games because that's convenient for the plot of the movie and they can have him you know talk just enough to be able to be funny in certain scenes or whatever else right yeah exactly so i think i think they do a good job of that i think showing this movie to kids would be a good way to help them understand that there are people out there who are different that don't necessarily deserve to be mistreated and that's an important message put in children's minds, and it's weird that they're doing it through a Nintendo commercial. But that's still happening. And it's, it's, it's interesting that they chose to go that route, because this could have just been a movie about two kids on their way to a video game contest, and they could have avoided some of the more emotional stuff and just had extra scenes of them playing video games, had you know a little bit more time with Lucas, the villain of the film, so that we could actually dislike him. Yeah. I was going to bring up. So we do have a villain in this movie uh, with the sort of runaway bounty hunter 
but he mainly becomes a foil for Bill Bridges and Christian Slater. Right. Whereas Jimmy and Fred Savage's main nemesis is a kid named Lucas. I love the power glove. It's so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Who apparently says he has all 97 Nintendo games. It's funny Uh, in itself that there would only be 97 games. Well, the funny thing is in the trivia, it even says at that time, there was already like 157. So that's not accurate whatsoever. (laughs) No. Yeah. Uh, He's, of course, like the... uh, uh, I don't know. I, I I almost the way like the way he's dressed and everything leads me to like, um, like California. I don't want to say surfer dude, but I mean he's just got that like the way it's almost like a trench coat, but it's more of a shirt type thing going on. I thought it was very very California eighties at the time. Well, and the int- the interesting thing is, I thought they were pushing it off as the whole. He's clearly from a family that has a little bit of money mm-hmm. because they could afford to buy him a Nintendo and ninety seven games and yeah. the fucking power glove, which <laughs> no one could afford. You know, not, not just a power glove, but a power glove and like a bulletproof case with like a foam insert and yeah, you know, that's like, and, and then of course and like lift the lid like oh. And the, the whole thing one. that he's also very good at video games, but you would assume just because he has time just to sit around and play video games all day every day. Yeah, it is kind of just t- touching on that like class warfare element of this, where they're just like clearly the rich kid's going to be better at video games because he probably has like a video game coach or whatever, and it's like <laughs> they don't really get into how. I mean, for children, there isn't really a difference between other than access to the games. But if you both are given the same game, it's not like being rich really helps you get better at it. <laughs> yeah. But in, you know, in, in saying this is similar to a lot of the 80s kids' movies, they were trying to play off the tropes of adult movies that the kids may have seen with their parents because kids' parents actually watched the same things back then. So I think mm-hmm. the idea is that, yeah, in all, the, in all the parent movies, the rich guy was always, you know, really good at golf because he got to practice all the time and the it was always the poor guy that had to learn how to play to beat him or whatever. I think that's actually a happy more reference I just made by accident. But it's <laughs> like you know what I mean. Like every eighties yeah. movie had that. The villain, the the villain was always the rich guy, and he'd be you know he'd be great at tennis, and you had to figure out how to beat him. And it's like then he'd have his coach, and you'd be sitting there banging the tennis ball off the wall <laughs> trying to teach yourself, but then you'd manage to do it right. Yeah. Uh, but one of the one of the other things which I, I can remember from being a child and found this infuriating is the way they show him using the power glove in the movie. They don't work like that. Like, <laughs> like well, I don't know. No, I didn't have that kind of money when I was a kid, so I, I never played with no, the power glove. I, I assumed I, this movie was accurate. <laughs> I, I did not, but I did have a friend who had the power glove, and I got so freaking excited whenever he had it because I was like, "Oh man, motion control stuff." No. The power glove was a literally a Nintendo remote that you strapped to your arm. That's that's it. Like you had to still use the arrows and the buttons. You just did it on your forearm instead of in your hands. Which and it was super expensive. Yeah, which means you pretty much couldn't really do it properly because if you had one hand with the glove on it, you couldn't touch the necessary buttons. Well, all at once. Well, there's two. There's two direction pads. So there's there's one on the controller on your forearm, 
Then there's another one like kind of inside your hand where your thumb is so that you can hit the directions with your thumb. Oh, that's still dumb. It's no, oh, it's really stupid. <laughs> and they sold a bajillion of them. Partially yeah. due to this movie. No, it's coming <laughs> hard against the power glove. <laughs> power glove was bad. Can't wait um, to hear his thoughts on Super Mario 3. Super uh, Mario 3 we're gonna, dope. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Uh, one of the things I do love that now is just something that just doesn't exist anymore. So at some point in this movie, they end up in Reno because uh, that's where Haley says she's from. And they're, they, she cons like a uh, a trucker guy into betting for her in the casino, and she like yells out instructions across the floor. <laughs> and, and of course, uh, she's like she knows how to yell the right instructions to win the craps, which is a game of chance. Yes, and uh, they win four hundred dollars, guys. She gives ten dollars to uh, the trucker guy. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Who she knows, the friend of her dad's, and then uh, apparently, then they stay at a casino hotel, and then hang out. And this is the part that's awesome because they call up the Nintendo like helpline and just start throwing out these are the games we need to get good at, and it shows like the same like technician is like their essentially he becomes their coach, where he's just telling them all the hints and secrets. He's pulling binders out and has, like, you know, picture graphs and, like, all this stuff. And then it cuts to Jimmy, like, practicing at the Pick 10 arcade cabinet, like, down in the uh, down in the arcade, which seemed to have a lot more than 10 games if they uh, were using the same machine for him to practice on after talking to this power line. You might be nitpicking at that point. <laughs> I do think there's it's a... Totally nitpicking. I don't even care. I believe there's a montage of him jumping around from a couple of different consoles, though, when he's down in that arcade. Sure. One of the big things I want to know, the Nintendo Hotline costs like $3 a minute. Yeah, it, was, it was yeah, really expensive. Money. And I'm pretty sure you needed a credit card for it. So whose <laughs> stolen credit card were they using? And and how much bill did they rack up if they were talking for hours and hours and hours on the Nintendo That Haley was up to no good. You don't know what she was doing. Yeah. She was a little cursed. She, she was, was a funny scammer. character. But yeah, she... He touched my breast! You're, 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 you are right that you're saying yes. They, they, I mean, you can't stay at a hotel without a credit card either, right? They stole a credit card. Well, back then you some kind of fraud. Could you? I don't know if that's... Yeah. You could, but you'd have to pay a lot of cash up front. Yeah. Which I don't think four hundred dollars would cover like that amount of time in Vegas. Oh yeah, or I mean Reno. Reno. Yeah, it's Reno. Are you it's kidding? Reno. No, the, ho- the the hotels in Vegas are actually cheap. Yeah, but I mean four hundred dollars cheap for yeah. two kids. I um, mean you could you could you could stay in a hotel for a night or two like now for that. Sure, a night or two, but then also that includes whatever they're eating. Uh, quarters for Jimmy to go down to the arcade room. Uh, whatever phone bill they're racking up out of nowhere. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. I just don't I don't understand the phone bill part. I don't understand how they could possibly have done any of that. Yeah. But, once again, this is stuff that doesn't matter. For this no, again, again, yeah. That, this is all stuff that... It's it, just fun to make fun of, but yeah, that's not it, the point of the movie. It is a, it is a kid's movie, and that's yeah. 
at the end of the day, you just have to accept that there's some kid movie logic to it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, should we get to the Nintendo Championships, I guess? Uh, well, I, I think we've skipped some valuable oh, conversation okay. stuff All right, in, close in the close fact it. of the the duel between uh, Christian Slater and Bo Bridges <laughs> and the uh, the guy hired to get the children because it really escalates. Like, yeah, it becomes criminal at multiple parts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it pretty much from day one. It's just it starts with yes. uttering threats and it just skyrockets <laughs> from there, where they're trashing each other's vehicles and physically assaulting one another. Bo Bridges and the poor man's Michael Ironside are really going at it throughout this whole movie. <laughs> and Christian Slater is attempting to be the voice of reason, but mostly he just wants them to sit and eat a meal. So every time, it's like, every time the car gets trashed, it's like, sweet, I get to sit down and eat, and I'll have to eat in the truck. <laughs> I love Christian Slater. It, like, it, it starts with vandalism, and then it goes to like vandalism plus physical threat, and then uh, assault with a vehicle. And... <laughs> <laughs> would you say, uh, would that count as theft of property when that guy... Has that other guy tow their truck away and then oh, yeah. Yeah. strip it down? Yeah. And <laughs> apparently for very little money. Like, it did for not take months. a lot of bribe no. for, for these guys to steal his car and chop shop it. And they clearly, like, they knew what they were doing because there's no way that that car would have been that chopped up that fast if they weren't doing it on purpose. So they knew what they were doing. And for 50 bucks, they're willing to become car thieves. They feel like those guys were something sketchy already. Did you guys also notice that when they're at the shop and they're putting the truck back together, like Bo Bridges just goes and plays video games, but Christian Slater is like actively working, putting the truck back together. <laughs> How's that kid qualified? <laughs> so he got one shop class under his belt and he thinks he can rebuild the car from scratch? Well, to, to be fair, Doug, uh, there is a point where he hooks the Nintendo up to the TV and Bo Bridges is like, isn't that Corey's old Nintendo system? thought that was broken and christian slater says it was but i fixed it so you feel that was foreshadowing yes so that, that gave him enough qualifications to rebuild a car from scratch <laughs> i just figured like the cord had come loose and he just put some tape on it because that happened to a lot of people's <laughs> nintendos i did like the uh the scene at the motel where uh Bo bridges and christian slater are in bed trying to go to sleep because you know oh, we got to go search for the children again tomorrow and Christian Slater seems to be having trying to have like a serious moment with his dad. Yeah. Where he tells him, like, look, I know sometimes we don't get along, but I just want to say I'm happy to be here. And Bo Bridges just kind of shrugs it off. Like it seems like he takes a moment, but then he's like, I'm not dealing with this bullshit. He's like, All right, I need to go to sleep. We've got stuff to do tomorrow. And Christian Slater's like, you know what? No, fuck this bullshit. And he just gets up, goes outside, grabs the Nintendo out of the truck looks it over the TV, and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to play some video games, and Bo Bridges just goes to sleep, and I think that like that was just hilarious. Well, I thought that was like a, such an 80s moment, too, because it's like, first of all, 80s was the first time when you had this conflict of teenagers always wanting to play video games and the parents yeah. trying to stop them. But it was also a time when the dads were all these you know old 50s and 60s dads who did not show love and emotion to their children. 
was a bunch of kids that were raised in the 80s and expected to be hugged every now and again. And so there was always that conflict going back and forth. And I thought yeah. they did a good job of portraying that. I think it really felt yeah. very real. <laughs> and then, of course, we do find Bo Bridges up the next morning. He's the one playing video games while Christian Slater's trying to sleep. And then, as you also mentioned, felt that was real. All, then mentioned, yeah, that Bo Bridges is playing video games while Christian Slater's helping the mechanics try to put the truck back together. <laughs> and they're playing the Ninja Turtle game, and that yeah. game was hard as shit. Fucking hard as hell. I just like the moment where Bo Bridges is like, what, what is this one called? And Christian Slater's like, it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Bo Bridges is like, what, what? What? Ridiculous. What a crazy concept. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll tell you one weird thing. So bringing it back to, to video games and the, the little brother, at the beginning, whenever they're talking about, uh, whenever they're at the therapist and stuff, talking about all these problems, she's, they specifically point out that he does have this fixation with stacking things and spatial reasoning and all that kind of stuff. And it had been so long since I saw this movie. Was it weird that I was assuming that the game they were going to figure out at the beginning that he he was amazing at was Tetris? No, I made the the same assumption. And when it was Double Dragon, I'm like, oh, well, there's no connection there. Yeah. I almost wonder if that was changed. Because it's weird that they specifically stopped to call attention. Multiple times, too. Yeah, that that's what he's good at. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if they would have had Game Boys around at this point, they would have, uh, they would have done Game, it. Game Boy was right around the corner. It's pretty close. Yeah, to yeah. But I'm saying this wasn't a, a commercial movie for the Game Boy. It was a commercial commercial movie for Super Mario 3, so... That's a good point. Yeah. And the Power Glove. And the Power Glove. It's so bad. <laughs> uh, so, else when, when we were talking it? about doing the movie, Doug did bring yeah. up the uh, he-touched-my-breast moment in the film. Yes. And, and I remember, I, I had thought I was a bad person for emotionally adding that to the, to the movie, but it turns out, no, that's a real thing that happens. <laughs> well, not, not only does it happen, then later on in the film, there's a callback to it. Yep. <laughs> and, and, and I'll admit, while the first time it's it's not super funny, like, it's just a, a dumb joke, kind of, ha ha ha, I just got the guy beat up again situation. Yeah. But man, whenever all those uh, trucks box the guy in, and then get out, and he goes, touched a breast, huh? <laughs> like, that was legitimately funny. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I have to admit I did laugh at it, even though like in my mind I want to be the guy that's like, no, that joke's not appropriate. I mean, that's a young girl, and that's not something that's funny. But but I did laugh out loud the second the second moment, like you're saying. The first one I was just kind of like, wait, so he's accused of touching a, a girl, and he at the time that they show up, he's like in the process of trying to drag a child away, and then they just let him go the next day. That's the part that blew my mind at the first moment. Like, the 80s just weren't that strict. No. To be fair, it, I think it was just security. They probably just punched them and then threw them out, threw them out of the, uh, out of the, casino. the casino. They didn't really charge. 
dropping it or yeah, putting charges against him or anything. Yeah. It's like, get this guy out of here. He's going to ruin our casino, our casino uh, attendance. Get the fuck out. Um, all right. Anything else before we hit LA? No, I think that's it. Um, did anybody else think Fred Savage should not have been carrying a skateboard around the whole time? Well, I kept waiting for him to ride the skateboard, and there's like one moment where two stunt people ride a skateboard, and it's yes. clearly not the kids. <laughs> they don't even properly ride it. They're just kind of sitting on it going down a hill, and I'm like, they, it, that is an unnecessary prop that is taking up too much of the screen throughout much of the movie. And I'm, at some point, he's making Haley carry it, and I'm like, what the fuck? You're going to make her carry it? She's definitely never going to ride it. She has no training. She rides in trucks. I'll tell yeah. you what you have to you have to admire Fred Savage's character in the fact that uh, at the beginning of the movie he goes, you know what, I'm going to go break my little brother out of this home and uh, take him across the entire country, and he With never wavers from body. that plan. Oh no! Oh, he's steadfast on it. He's yeah. There's like because there's like a, a brief moment where he decides to quit, and then <laughs> Jim, it's after they get beaten up and the last of their money is stolen and then as mm. soon as like as soon as Jimmy says he doesn't want to quit he's like oh well I was always doing this for him so that that's like a dedicated older brother yeah the older brother never would have yeah. kidnapped me and dragged me across the country <laughs> like this no matter I was the older brother and I would never have kidnapped and dragged either one of my siblings across the country because fuck them <laughs> um, I don't know I just feel like you put a skateboard in Fred Savage's hand, he doesn't look comfortable with it. So it's like, what's the no. point? Well, and Fred Savage is not a skate kid, so do not he's give also, him a... He's also a short kid, and that was a full-size yeah. skateboard. You should have really given him a smaller skateboard. Yeah. So that it didn't look so awkward when he carried it. <laughs> All right, so we hit LA. It's a Nintendo World Championship time. $50,000 in stake. Armageddon. Fifty thousand dollars at stake. You mean uh, we, excuse me? You mean fifty thousand smackaroos? No, oh, yeah. Uh, Lucas mentioned earlier that he, as well, was on his way to the Nintendo channel or the video yeah. Armageddon or whatever. Um, so of course he shows up there. They get there. They get Jimmy registered. He gets in. Uh, apparently, you only have to play one video game to get into the finals. It's just like everybody plays one game for ten minutes, and then we're going to play a whole new game for ten different minutes. Fifty grand on the line. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping there would be more of like a montage of like almost like a Karate Kid montage where he has to go through the tournament until yeah. he gets to the finals, and it would just be like a bunch of him playing a bunch of like Nintendo yeah. games or whatever. No, nope. but three, we didn't get that. Three rounds of qualifiers, oh, and then the top three are in the finals, and that's it. Yeah. You'd think a lot uh, more people would show up to sign up. <laughs> no kidding. How, I could just play uh, Ninja Gaiden to get in. Done. How ridiculous is the announcer for that contest? Oh, he's ridiculous, but I feel like he fits that time period perfectly. Yeah, yeah I, so I feel like that's that's what would have happened. Like this, if this tournament was real, I feel like that's the kind of guy they would have had doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, since the movie came out. There have been multiple like retro throwback. Yes, the, the wizard video game competitions. That's amazing. Yes, and the three stars I believe have shown up to a couple of them, like Fred Savage, Haley, and uh, was it Jimmy or was it Lucas? Maybe it was Lucas. 
have all shown up to some of them. That's awesome. Just, just as like, you know, celebrity appearance type thing. Uh, yeah. So yeah, they're playing Ninja Gaiden. They take the top three, which of course ends up being Jimmy Lucas and uh, this girl whose name I forget. He's got no, the pigtails. Doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> just, Obviously, he's there for fodder. Yeah, they they line the three of them up, and you're like, I know which one doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> Yeah, so Amanda was watching this with me, and she was talking about how, like, yeah, like, because, I mean, the set for this tournament has, like, this, like, textured, like, wall that, it's almost like the wall from uh, uh, Mystery Science Theater, where they're going into movie sign and all the doors pop up. So it's like that textured, like, mechanical-looking wall in front of it. And she's like, yeah, you would see tons of shows, like, kids game shows and stuff that were all set up that way and you're always like oh my god this place looks amazing look at that wall and now you kind of look at it and you're like yeah okay truth yeah it, yeah. it, it didn't look good but it looked like I would have thought it was cool in oh exactly yes for sure um, so in between uh, rounds uh, everybody goes outside and has their, you know, what? We're playing a game nobody's ever played before. And uh, did anybody spot uh, Tiny Toby Maguire in this movie? Yeah, that, that's offensive to call him Tiny Toby Maguire. He's <laughs> an appropriate title is Mullet Toby Maguire. Because oh, clearly okay. the mullet is his defining characteristic. <laughs> that is an amazing mullet he is sporting in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, man, I got up to go like get something out of the kitchen, and that spot came up, so I rewound it and paused it. And I'm like, okay, do you recognize this mulleted young man here on the left? First, that's Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, so we get more of the uh, bounty hunter chasing the kids through uh, the... Yeah, Lucas, Lucas uh, sells them out in order to attempt to give himself leverage because he figures out that yeah. the kid's probably better than him. Uh, so he's chasing them through like the King Kong ride and stuff in the back lot. Sure, because we had to fit one more commercial into this. I don't know what the tie is between uh, Universal Studios and Nintendo, but there clearly is one. <laughs> uh, so then we get the awesome shot of, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out where's, where's Jimmy at? We got to start this thing. I mean, there's a clock on stage that's obviously counting down from 13. We have to get this started. And he's not there, so they're like, oh, okay, I guess we're only going to have two. And they open up, like, the giant mechanical wall that has, like, the uh, the the three station place, you know, the three play stations for this tournament. Not PlayStations. Um, and, of course, Jimmy's already standing at his console with his little yellow lunchbox in his hand. So it's like, oh shit, Jimmy's ready. Shit's about to go down. And then uh, comes the big reveal. And I don't know about you guys, but when I was 10, this was like the most awesome thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> the announcer gets down, and he's like, it's Super Mario Brothers 3. And then, like, you know, the screens come up, and you see, like, that opening screen for Super Mario Brothers 3. And I was just yeah. like, holy shit. Super Mario Brothers 3 is going to be the greatest game of all time. 
Well, it's so weird because you couldn't ever do this now, right? Like, no. First of all, you could never. I don't think you would ever have an entire movie with a full budget and real actors in it who I've heard of just to <laughs> advertise your new video game. But secondly, you would never be able to get. They would never let you not reveal what the game was until the end, like this. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, as I remember like when this movie came out and the kids were like all a buzz. Like it was just like, oh my god, can you believe there's a Super Mario Brothers three? Somehow our dumb little brains never went. <laughs> one made a lot of money. Two made a lot of money. Probably a third one coming. <laughs> uh, one of the interesting things, if I, if I remember right, uh, Super Mario three ended up being one of the highest selling. Nintendo games that were ever produced and mm-hmm. they pretty much attributed it to this movie. They were like, this movie sold <laughs> a ridiculous amount of Mario 3. Oh, so money so. well spent on Nintendo's part. Because this is one of those movies, like, I don't think it did, like, great box office wise, but every kid knew about it back in 1989. Like, it was one of those things that everybody talked about. There are, there are movies like that that weren't hits, but somehow everybody has seen them. I don't really know how that's possible, but it, well, I don't think it did really well in theaters. But I think on video, this thing like killed. Because I mean, how many times did you rent this thing? I, I couldn't even tell you, but not, not once. I'll tell you that it wasn't one time, and then I stopped. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, we had a mom and pop video store just down the street from my house, and I mean, it was either Monster Squad, The Wizard, or Back to the Future Two that I rented just about every weekend. Yeah. The 80s was a strange time because it was like everybody wanted to watch movies, but you just didn't have access to that many. So you just kept watching the same ones over and over. <laughs> and you'd rent it for the weekend. And it's not like you just watch it once. You'd watch it like three or four times. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you didn't have no. any other movies in your house. Yeah. No joke. After uh, I, I did have a Nintendo and after I got Mario Brothers 3, I... You were the most popular kid in school? No. I went and I rented the movie to figure out where the World One Whistle location was. (laughs) (laughs) Why didn't you call the hotline? Three (laughs) dollars a minute. (laughs) Cheaper to go rent a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the competition is scored. You're going to play for ten minutes, and then whoever gets the higher score at the end is the winner. And they have this really awesome, like, animated sort of bar graph with a knight at the beginning, like, running to show everybody's everybody's progress in this game. Uh, So it's pretty apparent, like Doug said, the girl, while her little bar doesn't really, like, dip that low, it's obvious she's not even a contender for this. And it comes down to Jimmy versus Lucas. And it's a lot of Jimmy playing, and then Fred Savage and Haley yelling stuff from the crowd. And uh, and so this is when uh, Bo Bridges and Christian Slater show up. And then uh, the, the mom and her husband show up. And then the bounty hunter guy shows up all in the crowd at the same time. And I guess the big point of this is to show that if he wins this championship, he obviously does not need to be living in a group home. Because that's just because he just made fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, they actually do yeah. say that out loud. There, there's somebody like oh, they couldn't put him in a home if he wins a video game tournament, 
which yeah. just seems like you'd put him in a home, but you'd give him a Nintendo. Well, actually, they specifically say you wouldn't put him in a home if he wins $50,000, which <laughs> it is the most disgustingly 80s thing that exists in this movie, because that sounds right about right. The amount of, like, commercialism and focus on money that was in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So it kind of goes back and forth. Lucas is ahead, and then Jimmy's ahead, and then Jimmy dies, and then Lucas is ahead. And then it all comes down at the last minute to, as Noah pointed out, Jimmy finding the uh, World One warp whistle and using it. And apparently, using it gives you a bunch of points. I don't remember that being a thing, but. Uh, well, there's higher points for different enemies. I guess. Yeah. So, like, he skipped the giant world level. I guess things are worth more points or something. Mm. Yeah, we'll say that's true. It's, it's and, uh, fine. Yeah, like, let's assume Nintendo knows how the game is scored better than we do. Yeah. Uh, it just seems like his, his <clears throat> score jumped ahead, like, phenomenally. Like, after he warped before he even got to another world, but yeah, who cares? Again, this that's not something you need to worry about in this movie. And uh, yeah, just as time runs down, Jimmy's little knight gets so far ahead, he just runs off screen and they win uh, $50,000. And Lucas looks defeated and sad about his life, as he should. Well, there's like, I love that it's $50,000 or nothing. Like, the other two people don't even get like a ribbon. <laughs> it's just, yeah. <laughs> But like that, the poor girl, like halfway through, when because they've got the, the visual representation of the score, but they're also doing announcements of who's at what, what score. And halfway through, they just stop announcing her scores. Like just, <laughs> she's not close enough. They just don't bother. <laughs> yes, she's not important enough to the story. There's also the random moment of the bounty hunter cheering it, and he goes, Woo! I know that kid. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to kidnap that kid for like 140 minutes of screen time. Now. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he wins. It shows, actually, shows Bo Bridges and the stepdad like hugging and stuff, and like, Fuck yeah, he did it. Because it's and the eighties, so if they if you win fifty grand, then your yeah. two dads will suddenly become friends. And the mom still looks really pissed off for some reason. It's like, man, she's kind of a bitch. Um, Moms don't understand uh, video games. That's, that was the <laughs> message. <laughs> some sexism mixed in. Not not in the eighties. <laughs> Uh, and the interesting thing I find for this movie is, okay, he wins. It seems like they'd be like, oh, he's not going to go to a home. This is great. And like sort of the shot of him with his arm raised, and then you would just cut the credits and be like, well, I assume everybody lived happily ever after. But this movie actually does kind of an interesting thing where it cuts to post, you know, championship where everybody's in the car sort of driving home. And everybody seems to have this, like, okay, well, now what do we do? Sort of air about them. It, it really was, yeah, it really was like a, oh, okay, our, our adventure's over, like, so we're, like, pretty far from home. We should probably <laughs> yeah. get these kids back to school. <laughs> All right. 
Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't seem like anything's really been solved. I mean, Jimmy's riding away with his mom and his stepdad or adopted dad or whatever he is. And then Fred Savage, Christian Slater, Haley, and Bo Bridges are all crammed into like the pickup truck. Cab of the pickup truck. <laughs> Nobody's talking. Everybody's just kind of like uh, gloom, kind of brooding and gloomy. And then, uh, yeah, Jimmy, this is the part where Jimmy sees the uh, dinosaurs and kind of, you know, starts having a little bit of a oh my god moment and so they pull over and he gets out and runs over to the dinosaurs this is when we have the big reveal about you know this is where he's been wanting to come the whole time and he uh you know they find the picture in the lunchbox and then of course he leaves the lunchbox inside the dinosaur because that's what his plan was the whole time or whatever and it seems like everybody kind of gets like the mom tells him like okay why don't you take our boys home and so you kind of get that, the like, okay, we all kind of understand where we're at with each other now and what's really important, other than kind of all this dumb shit we've been fighting about before the movie started. And I don't know, that's when you sort of get your somewhat happy ending. But I just find it interesting that they show that winning the championship really wasn't the thing that changed anything for the outcome of this movie. Well, I think what's interesting about this movie is it is kind of just this fun action-adventure road movie, but there is this really heartfelt, quite frankly, touching story underneath it about oh, yeah. this family and especially the brothers. And you, like that moment when he, he starts freaking out and wanting to get out of the car, even though I knew it was coming, I could remember it from watching this a lot when I was a kid. I was still like, I felt bad for him because he couldn't get out of the car. And when he goes running over there and the whole family is just now realizing that it's almost like they have been trying to move on themselves and haven't been willing to take care of this kid who's clearly like devastated by all these things that have happened to him. And they're, they're all kind of just going, Oh my God, like his, every time we were frustrated by him, it's because he was the one that was been suffering this whole time, not us. And I think it's a really touching moment. And I, I really do think that it's, I mean, it's clearly, it's a little cheesy and it's amped up because it's a movie. But I really do feel like yeah. in, in that moment, that family kind of, everybody kind of went, oh, like, remember when we were ramming cars into each other because we wanted to see who could catch up to the kids first? Like, what a waste of time that was when we could have just been taking care of this suffering child and giving him what he needed, his, the closure he needed to move on in his life. No. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. maybe I'm reading too much into it as well. That's the other thing. No, no, no I, I think don't, you're I don't think so. reading perfectly into it. Yeah, and, it's, just, and once again, it's a it's an '80s kids movie that that while it has all the the usual pieces and bits of a kids movie with the the zany comedy and everything's kind of over the top and stuff, but at the end, it's a movie about <laughs> grief, about grieving for the death of a loved one. Yeah. It was an interesting time for stuff like that, the way they filter these adult topics into kids' movies. And just, mm. I, I do I do think there was coming out, like, I mean, you figure this movie, I'm trying to put it in context, but like, you know, in a, in a world where the filmmakers would have grown up watching Sesame Street, they're, they're up that age, so they would be thinking part of the job of a movie is to teach kids something, whether that's teaching them 
very basic reading and writing skills or teaching them life lessons. That that was part of the job of films in the eighties was to help kids grow up and mature. And so they they had to write this whole storyline in and mix it in with their fun action adventure sort of kid version of Indiana Jones or whatever you want to talk about it where the the, the adults are ramming cars into each other while Benny Hill music plays. Okay, great, it's funny. <laughs> But we still want to have that message at the end. We still want these characters to all come together and for this important message of a family to be there. Um, and I think the idea is to lay it on thick enough that kids can understand it without ever coming right out and saying anything so that the kids don't feel like they're being lectured to and they do a really good job with that. Yeah. I just think it's really funny that we picked these two movies kind of as a joke show. It doesn't even really mean joke show. We're just kind of like, eh, these will be fun, like, kind of goofy kids movies to talk about. And I feel like we've talked about so many more layers of this, both these movies than we have for the last couple episodes on a lot of stuff. <laughs> I think there are more layers to discuss in this than there were in Higgs. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> Damn you, 80s comedy! <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because... Uh, so I have this on DVD, and I bought it when Borders went on to sale, because they had it on sale for like $5. And I was like, oh, fuck right. The, the Wizard, I haven't watched that in forever. And Wes did the same thing, but watched it before I did. He's like, oh my god, dude, it's terrible. Don't watch it. Really? And I watched I watched this, and I'm like, wow, I actually really enjoyed this movie. I think I enjoyed it more than I did Little Monsters. Little Monsters was still good, but I think I had a much, like, I just enjoyed watching this one way more. I think so little, I have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah, Little Monsters, I think, is I had more fun, laugh-out-loud type moments. But I think this yeah. one, I, I really felt like there was a solid movie here. And even though it was a solid movie that was built around the concept of selling some toys, they really told a good story here. And there are these characters were all good. I think a lot of credit has to go to the kid that plays Jimmy. Like, It's a yeah. very subtle performance, but it's hard to play a role like this. And, you know, like adult actors win Academy Awards for playing mentally handicapped appropriately mm-hmm. on screen. And this kid pulls it off, and I don't know yeah. who he is or if he's ever... I assume he's been in other stuff. He must must have gotten roles after this, but it's... His ability, like, with his face, he does... There's a little quirky smile he does every now and again, and it's sort mm-hmm. of that moment where he's, like, just coming out of his shell for a second and being able to laugh at a joke, and it's really effective when he does it, and his, you know, his few lines of dialogue are delivered adequately, but mostly it's his facial expressions and his ability to just stand there and not have a facial expression. Which yeah. is really an accomplishment, especially when all this other shit is going on around him. Yeah, I feel like he did a uh, he did an amazing job of playing somebody with mental disabilities without playing somebody with mental disabilities, if that makes any sense. But he just is and he's not like over the top with whatever he's supposed to be portraying. It's just, he literally is just a kid who doesn't really interact very well with people and is really quiet. Yeah. Like, that's all he needs to be. And I think he pulls it off great. He's not Forrest Gump, not that there's anything wrong with Forrest Gump, but I'm just saying that's a little bit more of like a over the top performance. Whereas for this, it's a really subtle performance. And I think he does it really well. Uh, that kid also went on to be the lead character in uh, that movie, Little Big League. 
where he inherits the Minnesota Twins from his grandfather. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Didn't, didn't recognize him from that, believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah, I looked him up on IMDb. I'm like, I know I've seen this kid somewhere. And, yeah. And he's still, he's still been doing work, like, recently. I mean, nothing, obviously, like a starring role, but he still does stuff, so... Yeah, I feel like I feel like the first time I saw this movie, maybe I was a little bit too young for it. Mm-hmm. Like, because like I said, I don't I don't think I got the full impact of it, and I forgot these huge chunks of it. Like, I I remembered Mario three and all that kind of stuff, and you know, little bits and pieces. But I I totally forgot that uh, Christian Slater was in it at all, and that Bo Bridges was in it, and. <laughs> I pretty much forgot the entire ending part with the uh, finding out about the sister and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I was pretty much the same way. Like, I I really haven't watched it since I was around 10 or 11, even though I watched it, like, I still really haven't seen it since then. So I didn't remember a whole lot of this movie other than, yeah, Super Mario 3, Power Glove, and him playing video games. That was about it, so... Just, just so all you nerds at home know, in Facebook, there is a Power Glove gif of Lucas going, I love the Power Glove so bad. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. All right, so apparently on this show, if you whine about not having listeners, they'll actually email in and tell you, like, no, no, I'm, I'm listening. I just, I don't send you email very often. Yeah, yeah. We should we should actually do a whole bunch more whining as soon as we get through the emails that we're going to read. <laughs> Trying to get a bunch more for next week. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, Noah, why don't you start off reading uh, one of the emails we got? All right. So uh, from my good buddy Riku, who's uh, listened to pretty much every show I've ever done. <laughs> Love. He's he's my favorite listener. Him and, him and Quinius Maximus. Uh, he says, Dear Midnight Drive-In, first off, big fan. Uh, I watched Ilsa on your recommendation. It was pretty good. I wanted to do a fan request of the movie Hardware with Dylan McDermott. Keep up the good work. The show... Wait, hold on. I dropped my phone. Keep up the good work on the show. Makes my Mondays more fun. Well, awesome. good, good news, Riku. I do believe Hardware is already in the list. It is. Yeah, hardware's been on my to watch list for a long time. So, have you never seen it before? No. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I've never seen it either. So, it'll be interesting. Well, Noah uh, says it's awesome, so that'll probably I'm, be a fighting episode. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big fan of it. It's, it's an interesting movie. Hmm. I didn't know Dylan McDermott was in it, so my interest yeah. is a little bit more peaked. It's, it's actually got a few people in it. It's it's a lot of movies. I, I really don't want to go. If if you guys haven't seen it, you should go into it as blind as possible because it's it's yeah, fun. Sure. Okay, I will. Uh, as apparently, we got Riku on a watch list just like us after watching Elsa. So 
Good times. Yes. Good news. There's like five more of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Doug, why don't you read uh, the next email? Next one is, uh, hey, guys, it's Chris in Toronto. And he points out he's a listener and a contributor to the old show, which we do remember, Chris, because he's the one that used to send us pictures of uh, suspect video from Toronto. So we're always mm-hmm. happy to get those. And we always um, say, like, I don't know if Chris has ever written in before, and he would have to specify you read an email from me on just about every episode. So, Yeah. And then, <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. And, and he thought it was a running joke, but really we were just very forgetful people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris goes on, I don't have much to say. Other than he listens to the new show, and he would like to recommend that we do Class of 1984, uh, mm. which I believe is already on our list as well it is so we're gonna have to recommend it's the recommends from people that we've already said we should do so i was i was gonna say i do believe i know that one because it's it's uh class of 1984 and class of 1999 (laughs) that seems like something we would do yeah so apparently it was uh it was filmed just around the corner from where chris is currently living in toronto and thinks it would nice. make a great conversation. Um, and he also points out that he is from the town that was used as Derry in the new It flick. And he, points out, nice. he also points out it's just down the road from me, which I, I already knew, but you guys might not. Um, so he says, he, 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 his comment is, it's pretty wild connecting my childhood memories to the locations in the movie. I hope to be a creeper on the set for part two. So I, I think that would be cool to have like a movie about childhood set in your town where you spent your childhood so that you could go and then they'd be passing by the things you saw. That, that would be very fun, I think. That, yeah, that yeah. is that would be kind of weird. I am kind of jealous of that. Because we occasionally get film shoots coming to my town, but it's always like, because we're sort of a historic city, so it's always stuff that's set like in the, in the past. Um, but it's never anything... It's not like they're setting movies from the 80s here so that I can imagine like, they could like recreate the arcade that I used to go to or something. Yeah. Oh, interesting. He may have to be our man on the set. Like We don't want any spoilers, but just any uh, interesting uh, things he sees, maybe. don't want any spoilers from the remake of the movie that's based on a book that we've read. But... Yeah, still. Just saying. I don't, I don't want him to be like, look... Uh, they just use the same spider design from the first movie because that would just be disappointing. I would want, that would, I would, want that that would be mildly disappointing if they did that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you guys see like the casting rumors coming out about part two of it this week? Uh, well, I knew Jessica Chastain. I had mentioned before. I mean that that had been like ever since the first part came out. Everybody had been like, she needs to play adult Bev, and she's worked with Bushetti uh, before on Mama. So that wasn't too far of a stretch. And I'm like, okay, yeah. And I'd be fine with it. Like, I think she's good. And the interesting one that I don't know how to take, because from I read the article and it sounded like this Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba were both just in a movie together. And uh, apparently they were. she was asked that question and he hadn't seen the first one yet. And was basically like, yeah, totally. I would, I would do it too. Which would then, you know, let people like Idris Elba wants to be in It Part Two. And I'm just like, well, sure, I guess he said that, but it seemed a little 
they were adding a little on top of it. But Idris Elba as Mike, I wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be against. I, I feel like that, he seems a little older than. That's what I was thinking. Role, but like, do, do they do they seem age appropriate to cast both of those two? No. See, I, I would be okay with it just because I I one of my few complaints about the the new it was I thought that Mike and uh, Ben and Richie were all three underplayed for some reason. When I feel like their like their story arcs are almost more important <laughs> in in certain ways, they're shorter, but they're more important. True. Um, I don't know, with the mic thing, I've always told people, like, really, in the book, not so much in the book, because the book's so big, you got plenty of time to do everything, but specifically in the miniseries, Mike didn't really get a whole lot to do until the second half, because he's he's the, the gatekeeper, so obviously his role is much bigger in the second one. Um, and, I mean, stripped away, if you stripped away all the adult stuff in the miniseries from the first part of it, then Mike, Mike's character, again, would not have a whole lot to do until the second part. Um, so I think that's about on par with that. Obviously, like I said, the book has a lot more for Mike to do. I don't know. His character was very underutilized in the movie, but again, I don't, I don't know if that's... It's kind of par for the course, it seems like, as far as that goes. Yeah, I don't, I don't I've read the book in so long that I don't know what they cut out in order to make my story arc shorter. But Shh. that yeah. that that book's long as shit. They had to cut out ninety percent of everything. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I for me, Idris Elba, just about anything. I'm happy oh, about. I, I like the actor quite a bit. I just I oh, I, I love Idris Elba. Yeah. With, a little concerned with whether he's age appropriate, but they could probably fix that with some makeup or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, th- I think the only thing the the thing that I think they missed out on is that Mike's the strong one. Like at the end of the day, that's kind of the yeah. point of his character that he's he's the yeah. one that never backs down, and they kind of didn't get that across. Which which affects what happens in the second book. Like yeah yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm on board for Jessica Chastain. I'm on board for Idris Elba. I just hope, like you said, they can figure out a way. Because I think Idris Elba's 41, I want to say. Idris Elba can play anybody he fucking wants at this point. Like, yeah, I mean that's fair. I'm just I'm just trying to say he's he's if they told me they were casting him to play Woody Allen in a Woody Allen biopic, I'd be like, all right, that makes sense. I will pre-buy every ticket for that screening because I would totally watch that. <laughs> I feel that would be a very interesting take on the Woody Allen character. <laughs> the funny thing is, I don't think Amanda really started to understand who Idris Elba was until the last like year or two. And when we went and saw Thor, she didn't even realize that he played Heimdall in all the Thor movies. Yeah. So well, she was like excited when he showed up. Honestly, it's he falls into the category of people who are good enough at acting that mm-hmm. sometimes they get 
you don't realize it's the same guy from movie to movie, and it's a compliment that people don't know who he is. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm totally on board. Anything Idris Elba does, I'm usually like, yeah, I'll totally watch it. Like, I have no problem uh, with that whatsoever. I love Idris Elba. So, Amanda's already... I've already watched through the entire uh, run of Luther, and Amanda didn't get a chance to see it, and she kind of wants to go to re- to watch it. And I am totally just like, "Yep, totally, anytime. Just let me know. I'll rewatch it again. It's perfectly fine." I was joking with a friend of mine the other day about you know there had been a stirring about him playing James Bond, mm-hmm. and and then of course all the usual crazy racist flip out stuff that happens every time sure. that. Uh, and she, what I was telling my friend was, you know what they should do? They should remake him like Flint and have him be the main character. <laughs> because essentially, yeah. it's it's just James Bond. Like, it's James Bond with a slightly more comedic tilt to it. That's, that's all it is. Uh, I love you, Idris Elba. Uh, I always tell people him and John Hamm are my two man crushes. So, Dude, I do like John Hamm. Yeah. Uh, all right. So one more email. Uh, our good friend Terry Ho Kent um, says uh, Brian Movie Pass changes terms of service to only allow one viewing per movie, uh, which I knew me and Noah had sort of talked about some, but. It sounded like they had uh, people were still going to see multiple viewings of the same movie, but had uh, the it, it didn't seem like they were really enforcing it. But I haven't I haven't tried to see the same movie twice so far, so I don't know. I was gonna as, as far as I know, it's always been in the terms and conditions. I, I think people were just doing it anyway, and maybe. The, the other thing was, in order to get those terms and conditions, you had mm-hmm. to do some work. Like, you have to get on their website, yeah. and they're hard to find. Which I find, yeah, I, that, that bothers me a little bit. I don't like it when companies, like, bury the agreements for stuff. But you mean all the companies and all the agreements? That's what you don't like? <laughs> Well, no, I, I think most of them are up front. I mean, like Apple and stuff. You can find your Apple user agreement. It just yeah, takes yeah. you a thousand years to read it. Like, yeah, Every, but, you start reading your Apple user agreement. There's a new iPhone out before you're done. But yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying the the Movie Pass uh, terms and conditions they're hard to like access to even like get to. Not not just read them, but actually find them. It's really, really difficult. Well, I can't even get a movie pass, so you know, <laughs> what's what's the old proverb about the guy with no shoes complained and the, the guy with no feet? That's Doug. Don't give no fucks about your I, movie pass user agreements. <laughs> I, I, I suppose people could just start doing the things that teenagers have been doing for a thousand years, and you go to the theater and you get. Uh, ticket for going on 40 or whatever the terrible movie is that you don't want to see and then you go see the one you wanted to see again <laughs> that makes sense the, 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 the theater gets paid you get to go see your movie that's all that matters yeah. 
Yeah, because I mean, all it does is you tell MoviePass the, the movie you want to go see, and it deposits the ticket amount on this essentially like <coughs> MasterCard like check card. It just deposits that exact amount for the movie ticket on it, so that when you buy your ticket, there's enough to cover the ticket on it. But it doesn't like lock you in into anything as far as the theater is concerned. So what else? Play the system, man. Uh, Kent also continues. Uh, I'm yet to use my movie pass because he hasn't had time. <coughs> well, Kent, uh, me and Noah will tell you it's definitely worth it. Yeah, Kent needs to go to a couple more movies. <laughs> exactly. And uh, he says, and I don't remember this reference. I'm sure we said something hilarious, but he says, secondly, creatures that only eat people are considered humanitarians. Yeah. Yes. See, we, we were having a debate last week because Noah kept insisting that the pigs were uh, cannibals and I got upset. Because <laughs> oh, it's unfair it was. to the pigs. <laughs> I, I didn't like him disrespecting me killer pigs in that way. <laughs> so there you go. Stuff that eats people are humanitarians now. That's, that's an interesting philosophy for an animal. That's people. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. So anybody else watch anything since last we met? A few things. Why don't you go ahead, Noah? Uh, well, I finally caught the babysitter after getting recommended oh. it about a thousand times. That was on my list as well that I watched this and, week. And I'm going to be honest, I was infuriated that I didn't watch it sooner. Like, <laughs> I, I, I really, really liked that movie. Uh, uh, it's kind of... It was you know, a lot of fun. It's got the horror comedy thing going on, and I, I dig yeah. it. Uh, and the main character is kind of an awkward nerd who gets picked on and stuff, and that uh, pulls on my heartstrings. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's, if, if you want to get me really, really invested into a character in the movie, that's who you put in there. You know, Stephen King writes all of his characters as awkward writers, and, and my surrogate is a nerd who gets picked on. So, uh, yeah, the thing I love about this movie is that it just basically says, "Yes, this is the kind of movie this is," and if that's not what you're on board for. You're out of luck. <laughs> I, I do like the fact that the movie takes a minute to get going. Man, and then once it hits that that gear switch, it does not stop. No. Which, which is kind of awesome. Yeah. And if we were talking about, it, it reminds me of Home Alone. I mean, it's kind of Home Alone, only way more hardcore. Hmm. Is this when, because uh, Doug, didn't you talk about this a couple weeks ago? Yeah, I believe I did. Was it the Home Alone reference you brought up? Is that how we got stuck on this Home Alone versus Gremlins scenario? I, I think so. It's <laughs> it's hard telling. It's hard to keep track of where our nonsense comes from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that was pretty much the same way. I think I remember Doug talking about some of the stuff that I thought was hilarious, which is uh, yeah, the main kid like the conceit is ba- his babysitter is going to sacrifice use him as a part of a sacrifice for getting whatever she wants from the devil or something. So he's like passed out and wakes up tied up 
and his first response is, why is that guy shirtless? I know. <laughs> and I'm like, that doesn't seem as much of a weird situation as you are in. That is the thing that I would focus <laughs> on and be like, okay, I'm tied up and these people have knives and stuff, but why does that guy not have a shirt on? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I would, I would say out of all of the Netflix original movies that have come out, this is my number one. This it's my favorite Netflix original movie so far. Even over all the Adam Sandler movies, <laughs> only by a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's a shit ton of fun. I had a great time watching this movie. Yeah, I loved it. I don't know if I can... It's hard to compare because Netflix does so much now when you say, oh, it's my favorite. It's like comparing this to the what we talked about last week, 1922. It's like, mm-hmm. those are very different films. I don't think I can tell you which one I liked more. They're very, very different. But, sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Except for uh, Fuck This Movie uh, with its goddamn crawl spaces and bullshit. Uh, I would burn that movie. I'd just burn that house down. There'd be no point ever stepping foot in it again. So, I don't know. Did, did I say last week that I had watched 1922? No, Brian and I both had though. Yeah, yeah. So, so I did watch that on on you guys' recommendation. Plus, Gerald's game had been so awesome. I was like, all right, well, let's see what they do with this Stephen King property. Oh. So, how did the, how? What did you think? Uh, I liked it. I'm, I'm not. I'm not a huge yeah. ghost story person. I, they mm. tend to like bore me a little bit, but uh, Thomas Thomas Jane's acting is some of the best acting I've ever seen yes. in my entire life. So, yep, it's it's a shame that Netflix originals are not going to be getting Oscars and shit because he deserves some serious yeah. fucking recognition for that. But I, I thought yeah. it was creepy. I like the shit with the rats a lot. Mm. Yeah, like I said, the whole thing's just sort of just supposed to be like an overar- overarching just sense of dread throughout the entire movie, which is very yeah. signified in the rats. Like, keep, keep, you know, they keep showing up and keep showing up and keep showing up no matter what he does and stuff. And yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, His acting is amazing. People, I think if you showed this people without credits and people didn't know what movie it was, wouldn't even realize it's Thomas Jane at all. Yeah, and... uh I also I, I thought it was interesting that it plays out almost like a, more like a Greek tragedy than a horror movie. In in certain ways, it's just like, you know, guy A does something bad, and this is all the bad shit that happens because of it. Yeah, if if that makes sense. Really. Oh yeah, he does it for a specific reason, and everything he hoped to gain from doing it completely falls apart in front of him. Yeah, it'll and even goes even goes beyond that, and like all the all the other stuff, not even directly connected to it. Like his whole life just yeah. falls apart. Yeah, and all the people around him suffer. And yeah. yeah. Uh, so so yeah, so watch that. <laughs> Everybody mm-hmm. yeah. should watch that. That's the that's yeah. phenomenal acting. It's ridiculous. Uh, then I watched uh, Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky. Because oh, I have not okay. watched either one yet for some reason, and mm. mostly because the last, the last couple Child's Play movies that I had watched had been so eh yeah. that I like oh, yeah. hated them. Were you, not, 
Not a fan of Bride and Seed? Bride was okay. Seed yeah. was really bad. Like, really, really bad. Yeah. That's about where I'm at, too. Like, Bride's okay for what it was at the time. I don't know if I would enjoy watching it now. And I thought Seed was just awful. And and I had heard, like, lukewarm things about Curse and uh, Cult. I I think that they actually deserve a little bit more credit than people give them. They're oh, yeah. solid. Like, they're both pretty good. The, the Cult gets a little weird. But, I mean, it's a child's play yeah. movie, so it's kind of weird to begin with. And I like the fact that they've gone kind of full circle, and now it's this whole idea of now it's Charles Lee Ray against Andy. Like, that's that's what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm with you completely that the last couple have been a real return to form for the series. I think... Mm-hmm. Like I think it's fascinating that we're still watching new child's play movies coming out. That the series is still that the mythology is all still kind of intact, and it's yeah. their movies are still really good. Like I, I really enjoy watching them, and it's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. yeah, I, def- I definitely, I definitely think Curse is the superior of the two. Like just because it's, I, I don't know so, something about that that movie, I can't think of really anything to complain about it like it's just it's a good throwback horror movie i mean that it's got interesting yeah. kills and it's pretty yeah i mean they, took, they, they came off seat of chucky which had turned into completely is like almost a trauma movie at that point right um which is not saying anything bad about trauma i'm just saying they went from like a what was supposed to be a pretty scary setup to just an over-the-top, like almost like uh, comedy film, and then they sort of put the brakes on and went back to let's do a really scary child's play movie again, just but set it like in a house, just in one house, and try to make it really scary again. And somehow Don Mancini was able to do that, but then at the end of the day, also says. Yeah, I mean, we made it scary again. But we're not resetting but, continuity. Yeah. But everything still counts, like, up to this point. Um, you get to the, the end of Curse, and the big reveal is, yeah, I mean, Chucky still has all the staples and shit in his face from the last couple movies. It's just covered up. You know, you have to watch the movie to figure it out. But So that says, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, all that shit still counts, still happened. So we're not saying... We're not H2Oing it where we're pretending all that shit didn't happen. Oh, so, uh, you, one of the funniest things is so I, I really, really hated Seed of Chucky. And I must have blocked most of that movie out of my memory. Because mm. the uh, the reveal at the end with Tiffany, mm-hmm. I, I was sitting there going, wait, how the hell did she get her body back? And like I was racking my brain, and I had to go back, and I was like, I am not rewatching that fucking movie. So I got on like Wikipedia and had to like read the like plot synopsis to figure out what had happened. Yeah, yeah. Technically, that's not Tiffany's body back. Te- te- technically, in the movie yeah, world Jennifer, of this, that is Jennifer, Jennifer Tilly's body. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is awesome. So fucking weird. 
<laughs> and I really, I, I thought it was, it was weird watching Curse because I hadn't realized that uh, that the main character was uh, uh, Brad Dourif's daughter. Yeah. A- until yeah. I started, you know, reading the IMDb credits and stuff, I was like, oh, well, that's cool. And I was like, that's really interesting that they brought his daughter in to be this big part. And then at the end of the second movie, you're like, oh, holy shit, that's genius. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, took two, it took two movies to get there, but I get what they did. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, things uh, bring her in, and it's funny because even though technically in the first movie in you know Curse of Chucky, it's like oh they're bringing Brad Dourif's daughter in that's awesome they get to work together, but then you think about it and you're like oh but he's doing voice work and she's actually on set so they're yeah. not really working together, but then they find a nice like interesting way for them to kind of work together in the second one at the end. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the next two of the last two and Don Mancini's working on the script for the next one right now. So I'm super excited. I'll be honest. My hope, my hope for what the next one is, is I hope they just do a final installment. Like I hope it's a like all out war movie of, Armed to the teeth, Andy versus a army yeah. of Chuckies, basically. <laughs> and and it, you know, it, it should just it should end it. I really want them to end the series on these movies because they're they're good. They're they're not the best movies in the world, but they're good. Mm-hmm. And if they could just end the series on a good note, that's so much more than most horror franchises end up with. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think I was always typically a they sad. just get shitty. Yeah, I was always a little sad that the Child's Play series ended with a comedy film. You know, I don't think I hate Seed as much as you guys do from the sounds of it. But I don't. I, mm. honestly, I also don't think it's a good movie. Um, I, but it was always just really sad to me when you're watching when you go to sit down and watch that series and you watch the first one and then the two the next two are kind of just standard eighties nineties type sequels. And then you're like, oh, but it I th- ends. I think two is pretty three. good. Yeah, I, I enjoy I enjoy two and three. I think they're fun movies to watch, but they're mm-hmm. they are just kind of repeating the story again in a new setting with like some slight changes, um, which is fine. It's a slasher movie. That's what you're supposed to do. But uh, yeah, when when it went full comedy, and I'm like, and then it ended that way. For, and for a long time, I just assumed that there'd be a reboot down the line. I was always like. I don't. It doesn't feel like that should be how the series ends. And now I feel like we're back to having good quality films that are just mm. good to good fun movies to watch. Like I can see myself owning a box set of all these movies one day and watching one, two, three, and then the last couple and kind of skipping the comedies in the middle. Which, <laughs> sure, to be fun, you know. Yeah. Um, so did you watch this on Netflix now? Yeah, yeah, Netflix. Both of them are on Netflix. Did you? Uh, so I'm assuming you did not get the post credit sequence from. Uh, I knew that there was a missing post credit sequence, so after I watched the movie, I actually went on YouTube and watched the post credit. Okay, good. Because so. I, I had heard that the missing post credit actually like messes up the next movie if you've missed it, because like it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's like a oh, giant so plot from, hole. Yeah, curse to cult. Yeah, yeah. yeah so everybody at home. 
That's that's important. If if you watch it on Netflix, get on YouTube and look up the post credit scene. It's not on the Netflix version for some fucking reason. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's a necessary plot point. I think the ne- the Netflix versions of the film are rated, and you can get unrated versions as well that have the post credit sequence attached. Um, yeah. So I think there might be some other subtle differences as well. But I think they're all. I don't think many, there's anything else plot wise that's different from whatever. Um, so did you watch the post credit sequence for Colts as well? Do what now? Did you watch the post credit sequence for Colts as well? Oh, I didn't see. I didn't know there was a post credit. Oh, see, and I think it's supposed to set up the next movie as well, like sort of how this one did. It's fantastic. I really like watching. I will, then I will go back and watch that. Yeah. So I'll send it to you in the chat right now. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody had told me about that one. Uh, yeah. And then that's. I think that's it for movies that I watched. Although I do want to bring this up. The 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 video game I was talking to Brian about earlier. Uh, I downloaded this ten dollar game off Xbox Live that was called Saturday Morning RPG. And the reason why I got it was because whenever I was looking up stuff about the wizard, for some reason I had seen an advertisement for it. And it's basically a retro-style RPG, kind of like in the vein of Final Fantasy and stuff. It's just 100% 80s nostalgia. That's, that's all it is. Everything's based off like 80s cartoons. You're playing a character named Marty who's given a magical trapper keeper from a guy named the wizard who looks suspiciously like Fred, uh, Savage's character from the wizard wearing a power glove. And you're at the beginning of every fight, you uh, buff yourself with a series of scratch and sniff stickers that are stuck to the binder, which you have to play a mini game to scratch them off as quickly as possible. (laughs) All. And basically your power is everyday objects become weapons so your transformer toy like turns you into uh, uh, what? What was the name of the TV show where the kid would turn into the car? Oh, yeah, I don't remember the name, but I know that cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, you turn into a car and run over the bad guys, or you throw laser discs like <laughs> shurikens at people, and it's it's really really fun and it's well thought out. And if you like puns and 80s nostalgia it's awesome the uh the composer who did all of the sound did a ton of like 80s movies so it's all it's awesome hmm. yeah you sent me the link or told me about it and i looked it up uh it sounds like it's a lot of fun i looked at the graphics and was kind of disappointed but uh, well, it's, it's, it's 8-bit it's designed to look like an old video game See, was it 8-bit? I thought it looked more, I don't know, looked like something else. Maybe I'll have to look up some other stuff on it. So the, the like, the, the terrains, the the places you're navigating through are, like, 3D, but all of the characters are 8-bit 2D characters moving through it. Hmm. It's an odd, it's an odd combination, but it works for what they're doing. Interesting. But it's only it's only ten bucks, and I got a big kick out of it. So interesting, yeah. Also check it out. Uh, anything else? 
No, I think that's it. Cool. Uh, you got anything, Doug? <coughs> Uh, well, I went and saw Thor, which you guys talked about last week, but I hadn't seen it yet. Nice. Nice. So, what do you think? I will say, I think I'm less positive on it than most people are. Uh, still overall positive. Thought it was funny. I thought there was, I would say, I think there was too many jokes. Um, and so some of them that I didn't laugh at, not because they weren't good jokes, but just because there hadn't been enough time since the last joke. Um, and, uh, you know, Maybe it was a little too much. And I also definitely felt like this was two movies smushed together. Um, it's it's that, definitely two very different comic book series smashed together. Yeah, and it's, so it's sort of like you've got the Thor... I mean, I don't think we're spoiling anything. It's from the, it's from the trailer. It's the Thor Ragnarok story and the Planet Hulk story kind of merged. And... I feel like neither of them got the attention that they needed. Um, and I definitely think like the Ragnarok story is meant to be very dark and serious to, to some extent. And it's not played that way at all. And partly because of the fact that they're trying to edit in this other story and, you know, time to spend with these characters and spend in the Asgard world. Mm-hmm. And still like overall, it was funny. The performances are all great. I really like what they did with Hulk. I like, he's been, I think you guys said this last week that he's been Hulk for two years, so they've kind of got this toddler version of Hulk walking around, and I thought that was funny. Um, and you know, I, even when he, he transforms back to Banner eventually, but he hasn't been Banner in two years, so he's all messed up. And I thought it, the performance from Ruffalo was really good. You know, he doesn't get a whole lot of screen time as Banner, but it was pretty funny. And yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought, you know. I think it's one that I might enjoy more on a rewatch because I'll be able to pick up on some of the other jokes that I missed. Um, you know, if I really liked, I don't forget the name off the top of my head, but the, the rock character that was mm-hmm. living in the... Uh, Korg. Korg, yeah. I really liked um, him. I thought he was really, really funny. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, I wish the that... The director. yeah. I, I wish that character was the comic relief character in a movie rather than being yet another funny character in a comedy film because I think he would have been great if this was like a... almost like how Hulk was in the Avengers movie. If this guy could have been that to a more serious Hulk movie, it would have been great. It's kind of interesting. They kind of mushed personalities together. So in the have you read the, the Planet Hulk comic series at all? I watched the cartoon version of it. <laughs> Okay, well, it's, it's... I can hear judgment in Noah's voice. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's slightly closer to the comic book, but it's not, not quite. Yeah. Like, the so the Meeks character, the little insect guy, Yeah. they kind of took his personality and Korg's personality and mushed them together into Korg and just kind of ignored Meeks. And in the comic books, Meeks, especially after Planet Hulk, it's like super important because he's a kind of a dark, fucked up character. Once you actually <laughs> find out exactly who Meeks is, but but it's it's interesting. The, the, the big switch is in in the cartoon version. The the part that Beta Ray Bill plays is actually in the comic book Silver Surfer. Okay, so in the movie they put Thor into Hulk's place and Hulk into Silver Surfer's place. And 
and you couldn't have two more different characters than Hulk in the fucking Silver Surfer. That's interesting. I, I thought the visuals that one of the interesting things that I've been thinking about lately is uh, all of the Asgard Ragnarok stuff is all very like um, almost like Frank Frazetta imagery. Does that make sense? A lot of like men coming down wreathed in lightning fighting off hordes of bad guys and stuff. Yeah. And all of the planet Hulk stuff is Jack Kirby stuff. So it's all bright colors and hard lines, and yeah. yeah, they definitely did a good job making it seem like those were two completely different worlds that almost never interacted, and that's why when these characters bounce back and forth, they stand out so much. Which yeah. I thought was good. They did that visually was like the easy way to say it, and then there's also like everybody behaved differently in the two planets. If that makes any sense, yeah, it just it felt. And that and that part of that is like it feeling like two different movies, which is it's it's a, a positive and a negative depending on the mood you're in that day. I think it's kind of like a it made me wish we could get more time on each planet, and and it made me wish there was two movies. Like if I had like if I were in charge of the universe, which I'm not, unfortunately, but they would just have it would have been like Thor could have landed there, Hulk could have been a cameo. And then when Thor left, he could have left Hulk behind, and we could later go back and have an entire Hulk movie dedicated to his storyline of being on that planet, which would be very fun to watch. You could even, like, again, if I were in charge of the world and, and there was no such things as budgets or copyright laws or anything like that, you have a whole Hulk movie that comes out six months from now, and it has a Thor cameo in it, which is just the same scenes reinserted into this different movie or shot from a different angle kind of thing, which would be amazing. But yeah, I, I did feel both storylines were kind of just cut short, and both worlds weren't explored enough because they had to fit both into one movie. Yeah, first, again, first, keeping in mind, I'm, I'm I'm still overall positive on it before the emails start coming in. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm still saying it was, it was a fun movie to watch. I had a good time watching it. It tries to recapture what Guardians of the Galaxy has done by having these big space adventures, and they're fun to watch. And people will always end up with complaints. Like, like I keep saying, is for as positive as I am on this movie, because I really, really liked it. It's not. I don't think it's the best one, but it's really, really good. The fact that it's still not Beta Ray Bill is a crime against all things nerd, because it's the Ballad of Beta Ray Bill is arguably in the top three comics ever written. Like, like there, it, it's the greatest Thor story ever done. And we're on the third fucking movie, and we still don't have Beta Ray Bill. <laughs> I'll give him time. But they did mention Frog Thor. And <laughs> Throg, yeah. <laughs> well, except now, now that the hammer smashed, they can't do Beta Ray Bill. Oh, it's true. Well, they can re they can rebuild the hammer somehow. Well, that's that's what I'm assuming, but it's going to have to be after Infinity War. So that's a long, long way off. <laughs> well, it's going to have to be after the Infinity War anyway. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, so, Doug, what did you think of uh, Kate Blanchett? I thought she was good. I mean, I thought the character, again, felt a little underdeveloped, like every other Marvel mm-hmm. villain does. She's good yeah. in the role, though. I thought I didn't know it was her. 
even though I knew she was in the movie, and then I went to see the movie, and then I watched it, and I'm like, wait a minute, that was her. Like, it, it was only like at home after the after seeing the movie where I realized, oh, that's who she played. Like, I don't know what my brain did. So, but again, that's a compliment to an actor when you don't know their movie. It's generally speaking it means they're doing a good job. Um, mm-hmm. I sort of liked to the. I don't know, the visuals of her coming in and tearing down the false face of Asgard and kind of showing them some truth, but then using that to sort of be horrible. I kind of liked the way that played out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure there's some social commentary there and somewhere I know the director <laughs> likes to throw in commentary on things, um, which is fun to do. She does do a, a Donald Trump tweet at one point, which I don't know if that's just a standalone joke, it's meant to be more than that. But when she, she, I forget what the line is, and then she just ends up with sad, and I'm like, oh, we're, we're just doing that right now? We're just going to mock the U.S. president of this comic book movie? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm fine with it. I mean, it, it unfortunately, politics is pop culture now, so referencing one and the other is not uncommon. I'll, I'll tell you what, in very short order, I, I can honestly say a few years ago, I had no idea who Taika Waititi was, and mm-hmm. he's already one of my favorite people. Like, as far as I'm concerned, he's already earned his stripes. I'd trust him to do anything. He's awesome. Yeah. I'd, I'd give him a shot. Apparently he's what he did act in the uh, Green Lantern movie. I don't remember yeah, him yeah. in the movie, but yeah, yeah. that's still a that's still working against him. <laughs> I yeah. trust him to direct anything. I don't know if I trust him to pick a role. Hey, man, you got to eat. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm, I'm just yeah, saying between he, between uh, this movie and what we do in the shadows, like I haven't seen that yeah. yet. What? Uh, it's good. It's it's good. It's worth a watch. Now, now, now. Don't say what. Uh, it's definitely <laughs> worth a watch. Yeah, no, it's it's on one of my many to watch lists. I just haven't yeah. gotten to it yet. Yeah. It that. Mm-hmm. It's so funny, it, like, makes me hurt. Uh, I'm glad we hurt, so... Part, part of that's because of Jermaine. Because that dude is one of the funniest damn people, and the joke about him never getting the faces right is the best. <laughs> uh, oh, I was going to ask you something. I completely forgot. Um, oh, so apparently the rumor is, and I'm sure Noah will... Uh, be like, well, duh. Yeah. Is that uh, Kate Blanchett's character is going to be the representation of death in this scenario that Thanos becomes infatuated with for the uh, Infinity Gauntlet War, whatever. That makes sense. Which, which I thought was a neat way to just tie it all together without that having to reintroduce like another element on top of it. It's not, it's not a bad idea. Yeah, I think at some point they're going to have to bring it together. Loki made off with some artifacts that Thanos clearly wants, so he's going to be dragged in. So you're going to have him. We don't know if he'll be a hero or a villain in the next movie, but it won't matter because whatever he is, he'll be the opposite in the movie after that. Um, I, I don't. I don't like the fact that the uh, the the stinger at the end was spoiled by the freaking filmmakers. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) 
Like oh. I just oh, was it? I didn't even know. Yeah, they've already said what ship it is. Oh well, I mean, oh yeah, but I knew what it was. I mean, come on. Well, yeah, I, 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 I would have rather it might have been that or something else. <laughs> them coming out and just saying what it was, I was like, oh well, fuck, goddammit, it, it could have been like a thousand different things. Well, I mean, they've yeah. already shown footage from the beginning of Infinity War. Yeah. Um, at whatever the D23 convention or whatever the Disney's convention is. And so, I mean, I don't know. I already had it. I already knew what it was, even though I didn't watch the footage. I just kind of read what some of the yeah. opening stuff was. But. Well, I also, I mean, I just... You can read all the details and you get that. At the end of the day, Thanos is on that ship. We all know that's the bad guy from the next movie showing up. We all know what the next movie is and who the bad guy is going to be. So... Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, were you happy to see Goldblum back being Goldblum? It was fun. Again, I felt like maybe he was uh, because he was just being weird old Goldblum. He uh, didn't stand out that much in this movie because everybody was weird. That makes sense. Yeah. So, it, it, I, again, like he would if if you had given him more screen time or set him in a slightly more seriously toned he would have been more fun to watch even doing the same stuff. But his performance is great. He plays uh, Jeff Goldblum. I was a little surprised they it appears they kept the family tie of that character as an accurate thing, which that was yeah. weird. Apparently, uh, but you never know. If they get him and uh, Benicio Del Toro together in a future film. Why not? Oh, that'd be great. It'd be funny to watch, um, probably. I was kind of hoping yeah. Howard the Duck showed up when I like when I knew there was, I knew there was two post credit sequences. So I'm like, as I'm waiting for the next one, I was like, could that? Because I had also read enough to know that those two characters are brothers and stuff, which I wouldn't know if I didn't read it. Um, but I'm just like, okay, so does that mean Howard the Duck shows up in this one too? I don't know why I assumed that because it doesn't make any sense, but <laughs> it would have been fun because it is kind of a shit rod planet. Oh my god. <laughs> You know what one of the greatest end credit scenes could have possibly been? If they would have went back to the arena and, like, you see a giant beast come out of one side and then it flips around and it's like Howard the Duck sitting there with the helmet on going, <laughs> ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't they call us about these things? I feel like Howard the Duck should be, like, one of the end credit sequences in every Marvel movie. That'd be fantastic, because I don't think they're ever going to try to make a Howard the Duck movie again. That's my guess. Yeah. And uh, So if, that, if that's the only way he makes it in, I'd be... I just, I just really wish there was some way to, like, get it across to people that Howard the Duck is not as much of a joke as people think he is. <laughs> like, yeah. like he's a comedic character, but the, the original run of Howard the Duck is awesome. Like, it's so tongue-in-cheek, and he's such a pissed-off asshole character, and it's just awesome. Yeah, I, I don't think it's gonna happen, though. You're not gonna <laughs> get that in movie format anytime soon. Uh, Alright, anything else you watch? No, I will say my favorite thing about going to see Thor, though, and it was not oh, the movie. Okay. My favorite thing about going to see Thor was after sitting through all the post-credit sequences and that, the little line comes up and it says, Thor will return in Avengers Affinity War. And some mm-hmm. lady, like three rows in front of me, got super excited. She had <laughs> no idea that Thor was going to be in the next Avengers movie. She's like, oh my god, did you see that? He's going to be in, in, in Infinity War. And I'm like, well, how the fuck can you be yeah, here no, no and shit. not know? 
<laughs> it was absolutely hilarious. I laughed harder at that than I did at anything that happened in the movie. And I kind of felt bad because she could clearly hear me laughing at her, but I couldn't stop. Oh, and brief, brief aside while we're talking about... Uh, I have an aside, too. Marvel is that apparently they've announced that after the currently slated Netflix shows come out, no more. Yeah. That they're moving it all to Disney's premium streaming service that they're coming out with. And you know, you know it's going to be $30 a month because fucking Disney are assholes when it comes to overcharging people. Yeah. Yeah. But they're already talking Marvel series and a Star Wars live action series. Because fuck them. Yeah. That's, uh... yeah, I feel like I feel like they're holding my favorite things hostage. That's exactly what they're doing. I, I I'm I used to kind of like laugh because I I know people who would like collect Disney movies or something, and Disney would do that thing where they put things in the vault, right? And they would mm. not, you know, you can't you can't buy Dumbo night anymore, and then in ten years they're going to release a new, a new VHS copy of it, and you can. And I used to kind of laugh at people who complained about that. But now that they're doing it with Star Wars and Marvel stuff, I'm like, oh, you sons of <laughs> I, I get where you're coming from. Funny. Yeah, and, and they charge $15 more for Blu-rays and 4Ks than any other company on the planet. Yeah. And, ugh. I was, I was having that discussion with somebody earlier about how mad I was about them switching those services because I'm, I'm not going to pay for two. I, I refuse. I'm not paying for two streaming services. If I have to pay for one for TV and one for TV shows, I'm fine with that with, you know, Hulu for 10 and Netflix for 10. But I'm not mm. going to pay for a thousand different streaming services just to get all the things I want. That's they're, stupid. I would go pay $100 for cable. Yeah, they're, they're going to drag themselves back into the industry is going to drag itself, I should say. Not they, not one of the companies, but their refusal to work together is going to put them back in the situation they're in now where people are going to find a way to get access to that somehow and they're going to just not want to pay for it and they're going to, they're going to go some other way and then they're going to all act upset like it's you know I can't believe customers are doing this to us and it's like well quit trying to screw over your own customer base yeah mm-hmm. like the, the, yeah. there's a baby being born right now who in 10 years is going to know how to hack into your computer send that stuff to everybody for free I don't know how to do it I'll never know how to do it but that, that kid will and yeah. if, if the antitrust laws weren't keeping Disney from buying movie distribution you, you know they would buy out the theater distribution companies and every Disney movie you'd go to see in the theaters would cost $10 more than every other movie you yeah. see just to artificially inflate their movie sales so frustrating and it's so frustrating too because it's like why not just get your product to as many people as possible give it to everybody at a reasonable price so that everybody will want to go i mean look at how many people are going to see thor now imagine if it was just a bit cheaper to go just more people would go fewer people would go back twice i mean i used to go see movies twice when movies were under ten dollars each to see and i don't do that anymore because they're too, too damn expensive yeah. yeah. That's why you need movie pass, Doug. Shut up. <laughs> um, so you're talking about that lady getting excited about Thor. Yeah. I had sort of the opposite experience once where I went and saw the second J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie. Right. 
And so we're sitting in there, and I'm like, this movie kind of sucks. I don't even know why I paid for this, but, yeah, I'm here, whatever. Um, and so the time came when Benedict Cumberbatch was like, you know, my real name is Khan. Yeah. And some lady behind me went, oh. and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> it's like the worst kept secret of a movie release of all time. Uh, fucking terrible that's hilarious <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll tell you something with uh, with Thor man there's a lot of fucking easter eggs in that movie yeah we had to go home and watch like five different videos to find most of them yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's ridiculous there's one of those ones where there were so many when I was watching like the YouTube videos and reading the articles afterwards that I'm like I can't keep track of like you know there's the ones obviously that I recognized and then there's like I can't keep track of all the other ones like I like to know those things especially if I'm ever rewatching but I won't for this one. Uh, did you enjoy that we finally get a definitive, uh, uh, I guess retcon you could call it of the Infinity Gauntlet in the uh, throne room or the wet storage room? It's a fake. <laughs> what a, all takes. Yeah, what a great throwaway line. Yeah. It was like the greatest thing. They're just like, yeah, we know. So we're just going to call it out in the movie. Fake. Knock it over. I'll, I'll tell you what. The second time I went and saw it, I saw an Easter egg I don't think I saw the first time. There's something that appears to be a pretty direct man thing reference. Yeah. 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 And I was like, what in the sweet fuck? Are they going to do a man thing movie? <laughs> like, I do not feel that they are going to do an entire man thing movie. Well, technically, they've already did a man thing movie. Yeah. Just Disney yeah. hasn't done a man thing movie. <laughs> and it's only, and, and I only am going to accept it if they call it giant, giant size man thing when they release it. Oh, that would be awesome. Nobody would go see it because nobody would want to go, well, I'm going to go see the... Ah, you know, never mind. I'll stay home. <laughs> I keep having to argue with people because one of the faces on the towers, everybody keeps insisting that it's uh, the Marvel version of Ares. Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, that's going to be Gladiator because they're going to bring in Gladiator at some point. I can't see him not. Isn't he tied up in... Uh... X-Men rights at the moment? Well, here's the thing. He's a, he's a tied in with the Shi'ar, which would be tied in with X-Men, but yeah. I don't think his first appearance was with the Shi'ar and X-Men, so I think he's one of those weird floaty mm. ones that the rights are really nebulous. Yeah. Well, the rumor is that they're trying to buy up more studios so that they can get the X-Men back anyway. <laughs> Yeah, it was a big, big weird rumor about maybe them buying 20th Century Fox. Uh, that I mean, I guess I said rumor. I mean, apparently there was talks. Apparently they've stalled, and they can still happen. Yeah, but I'm, I'm assuming Fox. I'm assuming Marvel said we will give you this many billion dollars, and Fox said it's worth at least twice as many billion dollars, and. Uh, Disney was like, oh, okay, go fuck yourselves, and let's see if anybody else will offer you that many million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Well, you know, Hugh Jackman said the only caveat that he would come back as Logan would be to be in uh, an MCU movie, so. It would be hard to write in the existing X-Men, you know, and just pretend like all the stuff that's happened in that universe yeah. is, is just co- corresponding with the... Well, I was, hoping, I was hoping that something would have been worked out before uh, they really got going on Infinity War. Because you could argue there, that multiple realities could be opened up and Wolverine sure. could just, you know, pop over real quick and then, all right, thanks, and then, like, head back to his reality afterwards. But obviously that's too far gone at this point. Yeah, but that could still happen in some future the, fight. The bad thing is, it, from a comic book standpoint, the, the X-Men always work better as a separate thing. Yeah, totally. Like, because they're it gets way too complicated once you bring in the politics of the X-Men and try to mix it with any other comic book. Yeah. So we don't like you because you were born with powers, but Spider-Man got his by accident, so he's okay. Yeah, everybody else is all right. Just you filthy mutants are bad. (laughs) Well, you know, we might sometimes overthink comic books and maybe the logic uh, is just whatever it needs to be in the moment. I'm just saying, his, historically, from from the the comic books that people like versus the comic books people don't like, every time you mix the X Men with anything else, it gets shitty real fast. Yeah. yeah. Although in the comic books, you also need like a PhD and Abacus and a Sherpa to understand the fucking X Men. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, how many characters and parts of that group at one point in time and then had their own stories or joined other L- groups or whatever? It's literally right now in the comic books, there are two entire X Men teams that are the same people existing in the same time in the same universe, and one is teenage versions of the other ones. Yes. Yeah, what's complicated about that? <laughs> because there's more versions. Yeah, when they started that, I thought that was a like kind of a cool idea to bring the original X Men to the present day, as like a like a, a limited thing. But it has outlasted itself way too long at this point. Yeah, and then they made some weird decisions that like put people in a really uncomfortable position of writing. Like they, the writers of the teenage X Men decided to make uh, Bobby Drake, aka Iceman, gay, which wouldn't be a problem. If the other writers had decided that Bobby Drake was not gay, so now in the continuity, either adult Bobby Drake is completely repressed and lying, or they're insinuating that being gay is a choice, or like there's all sorts of really bad consequences to like a teeny tiny decision that they made. Yeah. Good times. Uh, all right. Did you watch anything else, Doug? Uh, no, nothing worth talking about. No. I actually watched a handful of things. We already talked about the babysitter. Um, I watched uh, the Devil's Candy. With oh, um, you know what? I watched the Devil's Candy too, and I sort of forgot to bring it up. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Um. <laughs> so, but yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, a uh, new family moves into a new like farmhouse. The dad is like a uh, painter. Um, the mom does some salon job. I don't know. The dad and the daughter have like this heavy metal. Uh, like they both enjoy heavy metal, so that's kind of their bonding thing. So they move into this house where apparently they think the realtor has told them uh, this lady fell down the stairs and died and that her husband was so upset that he killed himself when we know for a fact that that's not true. And there was this, there was this guy living there that was, had, was it hearing voices or just compulsions that he had to like play guitar or something like super loud. Yeah. Um, the creepy guy yeah, is played by, yeah. yeah, the creepy guy is played by that creepy guy that plays creepy guys all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, that guy. He was, he was just in the latest season of uh, Stranger Things, actually, as the guy that gives Eleven her electroshock in the flashback. Yeah. yeah I don't know um, his name or anything like that. Yeah, he was in Identity. He plays a serial killer in Identity. and um, Yeah. But yeah, so he starts like showing up at the house again, think, saying, you know, I want to come home. And these people live here now. And the daughter's like freaked out. And Ethan Embry's freaked out. And then Ethan Embry starts getting these weird compulsions as well that starts showing up at his artwork. And of course, that's the art that the art gallery seems to find interesting. So he feels like he has to keep doing it. And uh, it gets really weird. And. Uh, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good movie. Uh, what did you think, Doug? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. I yeah. I found it didn't really go anywhere plot wise. Um, I liked the atmosphere. I liked yeah. I liked the characters specifically the relationship between the father and the daughter. That the mm. that weird sort of heavy metal relationship, and I liked that the um, the dad and there the mom. Sorry, kind of felt left out. I kind of enjoyed that aspect of that family dynamic. Um, mm. Yeah, I just I did sort of feel like plot wise, it was like we don't have sort of a beginning, middle, and end to this story. We just have things happening. Um, that and it's not bad. It is just a movie that's designed to be more atmospheric, sort of art housey type film. Um, sure. But I guess maybe just the mindset I had going into it was I was expecting more of a, a direct possession type story, and we didn't really get that. Yeah. Are you guys talking about Pruitt Taylor Vince? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's got that shifty eye all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I agree with everything you said. I just, I don't know. It hit me uh, probably on the right night. And I just felt like a lot of, like you said, the atmosphere was really good. And I felt like that really worked for me in this one. Uh, that Pruitt guy that Noah just rattled his name off thought was awesome and creepy as shit like he always is. He does always play a creeper. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure he can act. I, I think that just might be who he is. <laughs> just found a way to profit off being a creepy weirdo. Which is fine. Uh, yeah, totally. It works for him. Not, not really a criticism. As long as he doesn't do it in real life and just acts it out on screen, that's fine. Uh, yeah, so high recommend for me. I really enjoyed it. Um, and Doug thought it was pretty good so yeah i'd I'd say yeah watch it if if you're interested in watching something like that i just think yeah again it's not it wasn't bad i enjoyed it i just 
was. I feel like Ethan Embry was really good in it, which I never think he's bad in stuff, but I just, I don't know. I usually just don't really think about him, but I feel like he put in a really good performance in this movie. I agree with that, actually. I legitimately didn't realize it was him until like halfway through the movie. I knew he was in the movie, and I kept waiting for him to show up, and I'm like, oh, I've been watching him this whole time. (laughs) That's interesting, because I know who that guy is, so I should... uh... I should be recognizing him. I don't know why. Well, he, he did kind of completely transform himself in this movie. I mean, if you see him in over the past, like, five years or so, he's gone from, like, being really doughy to, like, you know, back to, like, a nice slim guy. But in this one, like, he's, like, he has a shirt off in one scene. He's, like, fucking ripped. Yeah. And he's got, like, long hair and, like, a beard and stuff, which you don't usually see him with. Hmm. So, yeah. It was uh, it's a really good performance by him. So I recommend that on that alone, but I enjoyed the rest of it, too. So, yeah. Oh, let's see. I watched... Uh... Where did my list go? Oh. Uh, I watched... Summer of Fear, uh, which was just released recently released on Blu-ray, and it is a made-for-television movie directed by Wes Craven, starring Linda Blair, and based on a book by Lois Duncan, who is famous for writing the book that uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer is based on. Okay. So... Uh, these parents uh, are really upset. They tell their daughter that um, her aunt and uncle had just died in a car accident. And so they were going to go uh, to wherever they live and uh, get uh, her cousin and bring her back who she hasn't seen. Uh, maybe I think the insinuate has never met her before um, or just hasn't seen her since they were like really young. And they're going to bring her back to their place until all the stuff gets settled out or whatever. So they bring her back, and of course, she moves in, and they try to like make her feel at home. So like Linda Blair gives her her bed, and she goes and sleeps on like the really shitty day bed that's in the room. This girl moves in, and suddenly, like, she's making friends with like all of Linda Blair's friends, and uh, stealing. Uh, Linda Blair's boyfriend, wearing Linda Blair's clothes. And some weird things start popping out that make her think that her cousin may be into uh, witchcraft. Which is what's helping move all this stuff along. Uh, The movie itself, I will say, is uh, probably burdened by the fact that it's a, like, 1980 made-for-television movie. Oh, 1978 made for television movie and unlike Dark Knight of the Scarecrow which we just reviewed I don't think it just does well in that arena because uh, nothing really happens throughout most of the movie it just comes to like well she stole my boyfriend so I bet she's using like a love a love spell because she's a witch type of stuff but there's no like consequence to that there's no like shot of the cousin like doing like weird witchcraft type stuff that they would you know cheese up and do like in a 70s movie or something 
So a lot of it's just her cousin doing stuff, and then be like, I bet it's because she's a witch. But that's basically what it comes down to. Um, so it's not like a super great movie. Uh, but it is sort of one of those just fun artifacts from the 70s. So I'm a big Wes Craven fan, so I was super eager to check it out. So I picked it up on Blu-ray for pretty cheap and, you know, watched it. And I'm like, oh, well, that's I got to see a Wes Craven movie I've never seen before. And there's a uh, commentary by Wes Craven on the Blu-ray that I haven't had a chance to listen to yet. And I mean, it had to have been recorded like right before he passed away. So I'm really interested in like sitting down and listening to that, listening to him talk about making this movie with Linda Blair and stuff like that. So uh, I would not say it's a recommend, but if you're a collector, sort of like I am, I just think it's sort of a fun artifact from that time of Wes Craven just starting out and doing some of this made-for-TV stuff and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it might be interesting to check out because I am a Wes Craven fan, so I just... Uh kind of just to be a completist because that's one I have, one of the few I haven't seen so. yeah that's kind of the way I felt about it too uh, let's see and the last thing I watched um, Amanda confessed that she had never actually seen all of uh, They Live she had seen like sections of it at different points but had never sat down to watch the whole thing well that's a crime so yeah she had to twist my arm into watching it where she's like let's watch they live and i you know it was just like a cartoon cloud of dust of me running into the living room and turning the tv on uh so of course we watched they live and it was they live so it was fucking amazing um she really enjoyed like the storyline and thought it was you know it's one of those that i told her i'm like this movie is more relevant now than when it came out so enjoy so she watched it and really enjoyed it and stuff. And it basically just made me really sad that Roddy Roddy Piper's not around anymore. No. The world is a lesser place for it. Yeah. We shouldn't talk about stuff like that. Everyone's getting sad every episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so we enjoyed that. And that uh, led us to uh, why we are actually recording on a different day than we usually do. Because uh, I went up to Chicago yesterday, and we went and saw John Carpenter. God damn it, Noah! You're ruining my buildup. <laughs> Sorry, you're fine. I'm dying. <laughs> uh, so we went up to uh, Chicago and saw John Carpenter perform "Bastards." Uh, all of his uh, all of his stuff live, which this is the second time I've gone. Um, and it's just as amazing, like both times asshole <laughs> and the, it's funny because I went about a year and a half ago and Amanda didn't know like what what it was she just heard me and my friend Tony talking about John Carpenter's going to be in town we should totally go and so she had assumed it was just like him doing like a talk or something which she was not interested in um but she's like a really big fan of live music and stuff. So when she found out like a couple weeks after that, that it was like a concert, she's like, what? I totally would have went to that. So this time I made sure to uh, let her know. And she went, she had a great time too. Uh, if you've never gone, it's just John Carpenter performing with a giant screen behind him 
as they perform the uh, themes from his movies. There's like clips and stuff that play in the background, and it's always a good time. John Carpenter always cheeses it up. I was telling Amanda, I'm like he he likes to do the complete like rock and roll thing at these things. So uh, they come out and you know they're playing, and he's up front. And he's doing his little old man shimmy in front of his keyboard. Uh, the, he literally does the thing where he like points at himself and then points to people in the crowd like yeah I see you I totally see you and then uh, you know they they play and then uh, they all wave at the crowd and they all walk off stage and Amanda's like oh is that it or they're coming back to do an encore John Carpenter just really wants to get this whole rock and roll vibe in this where he has to go off stage and then come back for an encore afterwards which is hilarious but uh, I don't know it's just a good time I feel like it's interesting how he's sort of reinvented himself as a rock star this late in his career because uh, he's to the point like he's pretty much like bored talking about his movies because he's done it so much in movies anymore but he's found this like other facet to talk about his movies through his music and performing that live in front of people. And he's really, really enjoying it. So I feel like that's a lot of fun. And it's an interesting way to kind of let him communicate about his movies without telling the same four stories like over and over again. So uh, it's always a great time. If you ever get a chance to go, highly recommended for me. I tried to talk Noah into going, but he's like, I want to eat next week, so I can't go. I'm like, well... Stupid unemployment. I hate you. It's just lame. (laughs) Makes me so sad. Then one of my other friends just went and saw him, and so they sent me another message being like, hey, we just went and saw John Carpenter a couple weeks ago, and I was like, oh, fuck you guys. And they're like, the weekend before that, we saw Goblin, and I was like, god damn it! Like, (laughs) Like, for fucking real? Yeah. Ah, ah. <laughs> I feel like you intentionally pushed a button there, Ryan. Well done. <laughs> uh, I tried to get you to go. You wouldn't do it. That, seriously, if I would have had the money, I would have been all over it. But I yeah. have to be responsible, I guess. Stupid. The adult Responsibilities for suckers. Speaking of being irresponsible, I did watch one more movie. Okay, I watched uh, Little Evil after pretty much everybody told me it was bad. Okay, and uh, I haven't watched it. (laughs) And I actually didn't hate it. Like I don't, I get why people wouldn't like it. I mean, I I definitely understand why somebody who's a horror fan wouldn't like it because you expect it to be like a horror comedy, and that's not what it is. It's more like a family comedy that's just doing a take on the omen. I mean, that's... (laughs) So it's not... There's nothing horrific that happens. It's all just jokey horror tropes, if that makes sense. Mm. But all all in all, I mean, I mean, and and if you look at it from that perspective, I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, it's, it's a family comedy, so the jokes are kind of hearty har har and... Yeah, I don't know. I thought it looked somewhat interesting. I'm a big fan of Adam Scott. Yeah. So, 
So, so I would, tell, yeah, I would tell people that if if people are telling you that it's garbage, uh, you might want to watch it anyway, because clearly, I don't. Like I said, I don't understand exactly what people's beef with it is. It's no worse than any other random ass comedy that you would watch. So when they say it's garbage, you you just immediately snap back, "You're garbage," and then you just walk away. That is the appropriate response. All right. Not really. Just wanted to make sure. Just to make sure. Plus, plus, it's really it, the problem is is whenever people judge a comedy, it's comedy so incredibly subjective mm. that it's. I mean, at what point can you even take anybody's advice on a comedy? I mean, other other than if it's a really really close friend who has the exact same sense of humor that you do. It's well. I mean, Amanda once told me she didn't like Three Amigos and. That is why we now sleep in separate bedrooms. That's what I'm saying. Like, you can't. So, th- there are people that do that. Well, I'm saying it's not, it was unacceptable. I won't sleep in the same room as her now. I had somebody tell me that airplane wasn't funny. I was like, are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> I, thought, I thought airplane was like the universal comedy. I thought that was the one that every single human being thought was funny. No, Amanda doesn't like that one either, but she did crack at the scene where uh, Lloyd Bridges is like, what do you make of this? And the guy's like, well, I can make a brooch or like all this other stuff. <laughs> but they didn't laugh at anything else. I don't, I don't, like I said, I just can't, I can't fathom somebody not thinking airplanes funny. She also said she doesn't like over the top humor. She likes more sarcastic humor, which I uh, then immediately told her, well, we need to watch the rest of development. And so we did, and she enjoyed it. Yeah, I don't know. It it, it still upsets me. I'm gonna make her Air, watch airplanes. airplanes. Airplanes fucking funny. I just don't. I don't understand people not thinking it's funny. <laughs> You're very worked up this week. <laughs> well, well, it's just there. There are just a couple movies that you're not allowed to like say that they're bad you know what i mean you can't say that airplane's a bad movie and i've had people straight up say it's a bad movie it makes you want to like strangle someone (laughs) it's like the godfather you cannot like the godfather that's fine you can't say the godfather's a bad movie (laughs) like it's a it's a psychotic non-argument i'm gonna start storing these little nuggets of information when i want to set you off i'm just gonna (laughs) <laughs> You're just gonna randomly be like, "Yeah, it could be worse. It could be the Godfather." And I'm like, "Yes, I'm a bitch." <laughs> Me too. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, so next week, we are actually going to be talking about uh, since uh, see, this will get posted on Monday, Friday, the new Punisher series is being released on Netflix. Which, uh, from the sounds of it, will be the last time The Punisher will be released on Netflix. Um, And so, to sort of coincide with that, we are going to be talking about the original Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie. And teaming that up... Oh, the real Punisher? Yeah. uh, The uh, other gritty, streetwise comic book movie... The original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I uh, I emphasize the original, not the Michael Bay 
garbage nonsense that just came out recently. Yeah, Corey Feldman, y'all. Oh, yeah, Feldman. Completely forgot. <laughs> Full-on <laughs> full practical effect ninja suits that I... Ninja Turtle suits that I assume hold up perfectly. <laughs> We're going to have a whole lengthy discussion about whether the... Uh, scene where they escaped the farm inspired Age of Ultron. It's going to be a deep <laughs> next week, I think. Uh, you know what? I did not think we were going to have deep uh, discussions about the layers of the wizard and little monsters, so you know, uh, I'm not poo-pooing anything actually coming out of any discussion anymore. I can, I can honestly say, I know it's been at least 10 years since I've seen uh, the Dolph Lundgren Punisher. It's probably been less than that since I've seen the Ninja Turtles, but that's because they're awesome. I I haven't seen the original Punisher. I've only seen the original Punisher once on VHS forever ago. So I barely remember anything about it, so it's going to be interesting to watch. Oh, it's, it's a classic. Probably. <laughs> I, I, Doug, are you just shooting in the dark at the Double Under Punisher movie? <laughs> no, I have really, really positive memories of it. I'm pretty sure they're all wrong. So I'm really like trying to be hopeful. Is, is it one of those things that you remember liking the movie, but you don't remember any of the movie? No, I remember lots of the movie and none of it. Like, I remember liking the movie and I remember lots of individual moments and none of those moments seem like a good idea to me. So I don't understand how they can formulate a good movie. So I believe he does. Uh, he bribes a homeless man using uh, booze to get him information and he delivers the booze via a remote control car. <laughs> Which for some reason I remember enjoying that, seeing that. But I don't think it's going to be good when I rewatch it. <laughs> so we'll see what happens I don't know how I can remember anything right now with uh, all that's going on in my head is go ninja go ninja go go ninja go ninja go that's ninja turtles too <laughs> which we will not be talking about but we will be, be realistic we probably will alright just don't get, don't, don't get into too much of the turtles in time talk because I haven't rewatched oh. that in a while and I won't be prepared for yeah. it that movie was horrible. Uh, but we could team up Ninja Turtles 2 with Cool as Ice. Just do a Vanilla Ice double feature. Oh, I, think, I think the logical thing to do is to team up Turtles 2 with the Thomas Jane Punisher. And then we can do Turtles in Time with Punisher Warzone. I think that's the logical thing to do. I concede. Or we could do Turtles 2 with the Ben Affleck Daredevil. That makes sense. This is kind of our Daredevil episode next week, with Punisher being spun off the current version of Daredevil on television and the Turtles originating in the Daredevil comics as well. So, Not in the Daredevil comics, but you guys know what I mean. Yeah. Sort of a satire of the Frank Miller Daredevil yeah. stories. They, they originally tried to sell them to uh, Marvel. Yeah. It's a direct tie-in, but... Yeah, it's supposedly like if you've I've seen the artwork, I've never read the original <clears throat> comics, but apparently the um, it's meant to be the same accident that causes Daredevil to go blind, and that yeah. creates the turtles, which is uh, amazing if they could just edit them into the MCU right now. I I will tell you one thing: those comic books are not what you think they are. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because so. <laughs> they are dark and violent. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've flipped through like the old like well they were reprints, but of the old like the black and white Ninja Turtle comics that first run. Yeah. And it's like you're just looking at the images just going, I how did this become a kid's thing? <laughs> uh, you should watch uh, Turtles Forever, which is the Turtles movie where they all the incarnations of the Turtles crossed over with each other. I should watch that. The Turtles multiverse, if you will. Yeah. <clears throat> with uh, the cartoon that was on at that time, and then when they launched the new Nickelodeon cartoon, they sort of did their own version of that as well. Which is kind of weird, but um, yeah, yeah, because the black and white uh, comics turtles do show up at some point. Oh, really? And they are a lot. They are a lot more hardcore than the uh, the uh, sort of uh, late '80s art, you know, goofy children's cartoon versions, which is hilarious. Well, I mean, in the in the comic books, the Foot Clan are not robots, and uh, weapons are sharp and pointy. So. Well, in the in the in the original movie, we're going to talk about they're not robots either. Yeah, but uh, they, they all hang out in the warehouse with uh, Sam Rockwell and steal cigarettes and play video games. But for some reason, in that movie, once again, their weapons not so sharp and pointy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> eh, you see some uh, cuts and scrapes here and there. I don't think. I think if memory serves, they don't ever actually hit anybody with the weapons. Is the net result, or at least not with the swords? Maybe Donatello gets some bow staff action in. Yeah, uh, Mikey gets some nunchuck action in. So, yeah, so I think it's no blades no. actually hit people. Is the rule that they had? Yeah, everyone should go read the original run of Ninja Turtle comics. Is <laughs> <laughs> there? It's it's so crazy. It's crazy thinking about. <laughs> What the impression that most of us have had since we were children growing up on the cartoon and not knowing what those comic books were because they are fucked up. Splinter is not a good person. <laughs> so does it does that coincide with the uh the fact that in the original movie the guy who voiced Splinter was the same guy that voiced Elmo on Sesame Street. Oh, who then, no. had, who, who, then, who then had to stop doing it because apparently he tried to... God damn it. Try, he tried to molest somebody. Everything is getting ruined. <laughs> oh, shit. He worked with Corey Feldman? Couldn't you Couldn't you have oh. saved that for next week so that I could have watched the movie and enjoyed it without going? No. Oh, no. Splinter, no. <laughs> no. No, that's in the back of your brain. Oh man, poor Corey Feldman. <laughs> yeah. Next week, Feldman's going to release the Splinter molested him, and we're going to have to do another Feldman movie to review. <laughs> stop! Stop laughing when you're talking about children being molested. It makes us sound bad to the listeners. Once again, you know what the fuck? Does? It's Corey Feldman. It's every time it involves Corey Feldman, all of a sudden it almost it becomes hard not to like giggle don't, for some reason. But don't victim blame Feldman. It's not better. No, it's, it's not that. I, I, like I said, I'm not blaming him. It's it's horrible. Maybe the problem isn't child molesters. Maybe the problem is Corey Feldman. 
Oh, well, no, now we're <laughs> But the problem here is that you're you're acting too mutually exclusive. Child blasters are definitely a problem. Corey Feldman is definitely a problem. Two different problems that exist outside of each other that when they come together are doubly worse. Yeah, like you can't watch an interview with Corey Feldman and tell me that guy's not the problem in most of the situations he's in, but in certain particular situations, he was definitely the victim. I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's the fact that he's slowly turning into Odo from Deep Space Nine. It's this, it's this weird, smooth, featureless face. Well, this is the fact that he now dresses like Michael Jackson. Help or hurt that. That's all I, that's all I want to know. He looks, he looks a little bit like Boy from Little Monsters. A little bit, yeah. Like, like he's not a real person. He's some kind of weird Feldman monster with human skin <laughs> stretched over his face. Slap some light on him, and he just that Michael Jackson outfit is just fully folded neatly on the ground, and you're like, "Holy shit, that was weird." There's a critter slowly eating through his face to get out. <laughs> Ow! I hurt myself. <laughs> 